Hey everyone, welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for episode 3 of season 31 of The Amazing Race. I am Jessica Lease. I am here to break down everything that happened in the most recent episode. And with me as always is the man that I just want to give a resounding welcome to the podcast, Mike Bloom. Yes, welcome to the Bloom Karaoke Room, where the words are fast, loud, and completely nonsensical. I am so, so happy to be here for another week, Jess. I thought this was another great week, maybe my favorite week so far. Lots of really exciting music-based tasks. Like a prawn, I'm ready to open my mouth and let the race hook me in. Well, that's great news to hear, Mike, because we have a lot to talk about. And for the listeners at home, you might be wondering, where is Rob? Is Rob not coming back? Isn't he the one that has the podcast? And yes, indeed, he does have the podcast, but he has another podcast at the moment. So the way that this week's episode is going to work is that Mike and I are going to talk you through the episode. And then when Rob is ready to join us, we'll patch him in to answer all of the great listener feedback that we've collected on Twitter and in our patron Facebook group. Jess, that's a really kind way of covering for the fact that Rob is currently in a karaoke booth with all of his Survivor puppet cutouts just singing in a bunch of different voices. You know, I'm surprised Nicole let him build that karaoke booth in their apartment, but I, if it makes him happy, I'm not one to judge. My theory is that it's very I Love Lucy and that he drew a line right outside the studio and said, like, everything in here is my domain, and he just decided to build that karaoke booth as part of the studio, gives Brett LaBelle an excuse to fly out to L.A., though maybe after this week he might um, want to take a stop off at a dance studio first. Well, you know, I think Brett LaBelle considered himself a singer and a dancer, and after this week, maybe not so much. He went from double threat to not much of a threat at all. He's a he's a he's a sleeper threat. Yeah, though again, we should say they're still in the race, and I guess we should start with that with the result. Jess, we got our first non-elimination leg of the season as Chris and Brett, we were about to see another survivor team go down, second one in a row after Chris and Brett, you know, they promised themselves, hey, we're gonna stick with the pack. They didn't necessarily live up to that promise, but still an admirable effort from them. They get saved here. So I guess we should sort of roll things back because I realized over these past few weeks that I think we have quite a number of people listening to this podcast that have either come back after a very long time. We're talking like Colin and Christy days, long time from watching The Amazing Race or people watching The Amazing Race for the first time. So I guess before we get too deep into the hole of referencing past seasons and past international seasons even, this is a normal component of The Amazing Race, right? This is, this is you know, I know people were saying, why is this The Amazing Race version of Keith not making up his mind going to the edge of extinction? But non-elimination legs have been a part of Amazing Race canon since the very first season, correct? That is correct. They have been since day one. Well, not since day one, but like leg three or four of the first season of The Amazing Race featured these non-elimination legs. And I guess, Mike, we should explain what it is and why it is, because I think there was a lot of confusion. It's like, why do we tune into reality shows every week if not to see someone get kicked off? And now nobody got kicked off. And what is the point of that? 
I mean, it's a very existential thought. What do we crave from our reality television? If there's an essential resolution that we're seeking, what does that say about our own sense of storytelling and a necessary conclusion to end each narrative element? Uh, I guess don't get too much into the paraphrase side of things. But I mean, basically what it amounts to is they find that 11, sometimes 12 teams is usually a nice number to go with, but they also have a certain number of legs. That they want to utilize so they since the very beginning have always thrown in three to four predetermined non-elimination legs emphasis on predetermined i know that ever since the beginning again we have had tinfoil hat wearing fans say well it's pretty obvious that they just threw it in it in to be a non-elimination leg to you know keep x y and z fan favorite team in nope what it happened to be it just happened to be fortuitous circumstances the amazing race gods are working out in that team's favor so they want to make sure they sort of Throw in, you know, some some elements of the unknown that, yes, you want to avoid getting into last place, but who knows, sometimes that might be your saving grace. And so when people, when Laura Bonham was talking last week about how she was hopeful that last week would be a non-elimination leg after that elephant put them oh so sorely behind... I think that that's sort of what they're referring to is, oh, sometimes teams catch a lucky break and they happen to get a non-elimination leg where they do get a bit of a penalty in the form of a task to complete in the next leg. But otherwise, they're going to keep on racing in another shot for that million bucks. Well, yeah, exactly, Mike. The purpose of the non-elimination leg, apart from adding some new episodes without having to add additional cast members, is that while you are running the race... Sure, you want to be first place. You want to win a prize. And after that, you want to not be last. But what happens to all those people that are in the back of the pack and they're running the race? What is your incentive if you know you're coming in last place at the end of a leg? What is your incentive not to just like sit down and wait for someone to come get you? And granted, that has happened a few times, Mm. but it doesn't happen very often because most of the time people are always there's a glimmer of hope there. There's a chance that you might not have to be eliminated from the race. So you got to run it out. You got to be you got to be ready for anything to happen when you hit that mat. And sometimes you might not know there's a team behind you, which is a really powerful motivator. And other times you know you're last, but you might not be totally out of the race. And I think that's been the greatest thing that the that the non-elimination leg brings to the table is this sense that you always have to keep racing because you don't know that you're necessarily going to be out of it. Now, it is true now that the team that faced the non-elimination leg this episode will have to face something called a speed bump in the next leg, which is a little extra task. It's not usually anything too terribly challenging. It just kind of, it's 20 extra minutes of out of your day where you get to showcase another element of the local culture is typically how that goes. But that hasn't always been the case. And I think we want to go back in history a little bit because They've handled non-elimination legs in many different ways that have not always been satisfying. Would you agree with that, Mike? I would say so. In the beginning, it was just a regular, like, no penalty. You happen to, you know, you had a, happen to pick a four-leaf clover on your way to the pit stop. This is one of four non, uh, predetermined non-elimination legs. Keep on going. Keep on keeping on. 
They decided starting in season five, Colin and Christie's first season, that we want to add consequences in there. We want to say, you got by on the skin of your teeth, but it's not going to be, you know, you won't come out smelling like daisies, particularly. And they certainly were not going to come out smelling like daisies with this first punishment, which was that they were going to take away all of their money. So I believe this is what, five through... Did they? When did they stop doing that? I guess five, five and six, maybe was when they when they just did the "We'll take your money," which led to some very, very awkward and uncomfortable scenes of racers spending the beginning of the next leg begging for money from complete strangers. Sometimes well, Mike, in third world countries. I can actually, yeah, Mike. Actually, I can tell you exactly when that stopped. The moment they realized this was a bad idea, and they still will get to this. They still had consequences attached to it. But season six, they hit what they think is going to be a non-elimination leg. This is, by the way, this is my favorite episode of The Amazing Race of all time. So if you want to go back and check this out, in season six, when they go to Hungary, they are all set to have a non-elimination leg in the middle of the leg. And then it comes to light that if people do not have any money, they will be begging the locals for money. And it turns out in Hungary, it's illegal to beg for money on the street. Mm. And... Already, it was really uncomfortable to watch, you know, upper middle class Americans in the middle of poor countries asking locals to help them out for the purposes of being on a TV show. That's already pretty ugly. So it's not surprising this particular aspect of it didn't last long. So at that point, they said, okay. We can't do that, but we'll have to do something else. We can't. We already have the rules in place for the non-elimination leg, so we're just going to invent a new thing. We're just going to say that the leg isn't over and that everybody has to keep on racing. And so that's what they did. And this is a beautiful double episode. It's really fun to watch. All of the tasks are great. All-time greatest greeter, in my opinion. And I've actually gone to Budapest in the meantime because I love this leg so much and drove my husband crazy pointing out all of the sights that were in the episode but that is beside the point that was the point at which they stopped taking away the money and then future non-elimination legs what did they do there mike so they thought okay money maybe that's sort of something we need to give them but we still want to deprive them of something i know let's take all their clothes except for the ones on their backs which certainly led to some interesting moments. There were a couple of seasons where this happened when teams knew they were coming in last place, so they just put on as many clothes as possible, like they were playing some sort of weird game at a Sweet 16 and walked to the pit stop wearing, like, winter clothes in the middle of of Africa. But outside of that, they said, okay, that's not working either. They moved on. Seasons 10 and 11, they worked with uh, what was called the Marked for Elimination penalty, where, okay, you came in last on this leg, Next leg, if you don't come in first place, you get a 30-minute penalty, which actually eliminated a couple teams. Uh, That's the one that really screwed over uh, Team Guido in the first Amazing Race All-Stars. So after that, Season 12 is when they settled in on the speed bump, and it has been smooth sailing ever since. Now, on that note, I also want to say that I could understand how people were, especially new Amazing Race viewers, were completely surprised by this. People who are very adept and watch a lot of recent Amazing Race especially will notice that Phil has a very different way of speaking when things are going to be non-elimination specific. And I I feel like it's one of those things where once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it and know exactly how the episode will turn out. Yeah, that is true. Um, 
And he's gotten a little bit less strict about this as the years have gone by. Like the early seasons, he was very particular about how he phrased things. But every so often now he'll drop it. He'll drop his habit. But what he usually says when someone is eliminated from the race is he'll say, you are the last team to arrive. And I'm sorry to tell you, you've been eliminated from the race. And if a team shows up and it's a non-elimination leg, he'll drop something else in. He'll have a conversation with them before he eliminates them. He'll say, you're the, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, you're the last team to arrive. How does that make you feel? And he'll make them prostrate themselves before him and, you know, be upset and say something like, oh, we really gave it our all and we're going to be so sad to leave. And then he says, well, the good news is you're not leaving and you're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he's really sending them down one path to say essentially psych at the end of, to really get that moment of ecstasy out of them granted i think chris and brett were happy i think they were exhausted it was like 1 30 in the morning i don't know what time their body clock was so it was not as much jubilation as we have seen from other teams that were not eliminated but yeah i mean i personally could definitely tell when they came in and phil saying like yeah tough day out there was it like he's trying to pass time with your father-in-law at like an <laughs> awkward family gathering like that's when you can tell that things aren't exactly normal uh, are you because uh, we've seen this happen, especially in the past few seasons, like non-elimination legs in the first few episodes. Now that we've seen them a few times, are you generally a fan of them? Um, I think you have to have you have to have them scattered throughout the race. I don't like it when they bunch a bunch a bunch of them, bunch a bunch of them. That's <laughs> great. Um, I don't like it when there's a, you know, a few in very close proximity to each other. And one thing that the early seasons did that they have moved away from, thankfully, is Traditionally, I think the first seven or eight seasons, the next to last leg was always a non-elimination leg, and you always knew that was what was going to happen. And so the final three would do two legs back to back, and nobody would get eliminated or something along those lines. And as a consequence, it was like you kind of lost momentum going into that last leg. And I was glad when they finally did away with that. And then, of course, they brought it back and had four teams racing in the final leg a couple of times. And people tended to respond negatively to that, especially if they hadn't been watching all along. So I think you can't really say it's not like Survivor, where for so long the family visit was always at the final six. And people would be like, oh, it's the final six, so it's time for the family visit. You can't really say, oh, it's leg three, it's time for the non-elimination leg in quite the same way. And of course, survivors moved away from that as well. But it's more like you have to always be ready for one to happen. And it could happen on just about any leg. Yeah, I mean, even I think in Tyler and Corey's original season, season 28, I believe we had a non-elimination leg on leg one. So it can really come at any time. I do agree with you, and not only because it helps keep entertaining teams like Chris and Brett in. I'm someone who wants to see, you know, as much of the cast as possible. And so I do like throwing it in early on to give some of those those uh, bottom filling out teams another chance. Also, if we pile them all in the back half of the season, there's this really long stretch of time where it's like six teams to six teams to five teams to five teams. Like season three, I feel like was... A great season, but pretty bad from this perspective. I think there was even two non-elimination legs in a row at one point. And and that's like, that's just never good. So I love that they're throwing it in just because it really keeps them on their toes. And you know what? In this case, it's really helping this, in my opinion, fantastic cast keep on keeping on. I I really love, I know I keep saying every week is my favorite episode, but I think this might be my favorite. 
Yeah, can I just say, Mike, I'm, I'm going to drop the hottest of hot takes in here. Absolutely. Listen, the, the stars are like lights. They're shining down on us already. We're both wearing our t- Teflon body suits with lights attached. Lay it on me. I'm ready for more heat, baby. Yeah, this is this is white hot. They can have every other season for the rest of our lives can be returning players and reality stars. And I will be totally happy with this. Wow. I do not disagree. I mean, suffice to say, surprise, surprise, the people who are used to sort of, you know, making good camera time are making good camera time here. I have really been loving everyone's interactions with here. It seems like we got a little bit more bolstering from some teams this week. We got different shades of other teams this week. This was uh, Leo and Jamal's big reckoning after their success in the first two legs. So the season is shaping up super nicely. And I think you also throw in some tasks where they're naturally meant to entertain and singing and dancing, where you get to see them do really well or... uh, you know, in most cases, do pretty darn bad, and it just makes for things that are even more entertaining. That's why I said last week that I was surprised it took this long to get to a singing task, because I feel like the the Amazing Race loves schadenfreude, and this is probably the most schadenfreude-laden recurring task we've ever received in race history. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Mike, what could be better than watching people sing badly? I mean, the entire American Idol franchise was built on that exact premise. That's true. I'm surprised that she should have brought in William Hung to to be the uh, the what was it, what did Phil say like the carry rising karaoke legend uh, to judge the roadblock. No, yeah, he's probably going to be a contestant one of these seasons. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't know if there was a wand off uh, recurring uh, creator in the in Vietnam at that time. I feel like they could have snuck them in somehow. It feels like considering how deeply seated the community now is in producing musical content. I I feel like it was a missed opportunity. You know, Mike, we're 24 hours out from this episode, and I'm a little disappointed that nobody tried to record this karaoke song with with English lyrics about us. Well, don't if you say that like three times, shut up, Tim's going to do it. You know that, right? Well, I, I, I feel like I'm actively courting shut up Tim's expertise on this matter. Shut up, Tim. Uh, I think graduated from like the Eliza School of Karaoke. It seems. It, it's true. It, I I think my favorite Shut Up Tim song of all time was when he just sang my name to the tune of the Amazing Race song over and over. That's been a popular thing. We had Corey B doing it earlier this season. It's it's another reason why Amazing Race is catching on in popularity. People come up with their own lyrics to that catchy tune in a episode that's filled with lots of catchy tunes between that you mentioned before the welcome to vietnam bumper that uh all the light crew was dancing to it was a very musical heavy leg which worked out super well for one team in particular it's true and uh, surprisingly badly for a lot of other teams so i guess let's just go from the top of the leg and work our way all the way through to the bitter end um We'll go forward to use a term that we learned last week. Pie pie, Mike. All right, let's charge forward. And hopefully we can go a little bit faster than poor Rupert's elephant, who I think is still hanging back in last week's podcast, munching on some bamboo. Yeah, well, it was very delicious bamboo. I don't think you should food shame that elephant. Uh, and I, um, Angela told this to me yesterday that it made me realize, like, as much as it was great to have Rupert and Laura sort of go out in the way that they did, I mean, imagine them here. Imagine Rupert Boneham dancing in a light suit and grunting out, Nyung now, Nyung now, like, 
that was that was a, an alternate universe that we would have been able to have been a part of. So I'm very torn as to like whether I wanted them to continue in the competition or not. Yeah, I don't see any universe in which Rupert doesn't take the fishing task and make Laura do the singing task, though. I think it would have been diminishing returns. Yeah, that's very true, though. I think we also would have seen the sight of Rupert in a karaoke bar, which also would have been really interesting. That's true. Like sitting there in his tie dye, clapping and cheering that that could be something. I think there's not nothing there. I feel like I belong here. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Rupert feels like he belongs everywhere. And that's what we love about Rupert. Absolutely. So, top of the leg, there was one small thing before they get into the actual tasks proper. What was with the iPhone in their envelopes? And here's the product placement, and everybody has to pretend to book a flight on the app, and this was this was so transparent. And you know, I'm a fan of the product placement, because I know the product placement helps keep the show on the air, and I'm perfectly fine with as much of that as they need to have to keep it going, but... This was a little egregious because I don't think anybody's pretending that anybody has to go book their own flights anymore. I wish someone would be able to like smuggle the phone on them somehow. I don't know how they would do it, but like you got a nice piece of merchandise there, even though I guess everyone sort of has it around nowadays. Speaking of Travelocity, have you, I'm sure you have, seen the recurring commercials starring Phil Kogan and our lovely mascot of the Amazing Race as of late, the Travelocity Roaming Gnome? Well, first of all, Roaming Gnome and I are in a fight because he stopped live tweeting Amazing Race and it broke my heart and he's never answered for it. Um, But like he used to be able to like tweet at the Roaming Gnome and flirt with him while Amazing Race was on. And I rather enjoyed doing that. And now they don't have a social media person to do that for them anymore. So So you're missing out on your side piece, the Travelocity Roaming Gnome, your social media side piece. I am deeply upset by this, Mike. It is not a joke. It is a joke. Um, Well, I suppose you can uh, lie next to them getting facials and massages. It's just such an an interesting commercial. I don't think I would have ever thought that I'd see the host of The Amazing Race, the Emmy award-winning show, get into an argument with a piece of lawn furniture that just (laughs) lingers on him for a second while some chipper British man talks in his stead. This is the closest we're ever going to get to seeing Phil Kogan on The Muppet Show, and I'm totally here for it. <laughs> it's the worst Muppet ever. His lips don't even move. No, it's true. They, the Muppets have kind of, they've lost a little budget since the failure of that sitcom a couple of years ago. Yeah, but I think it's, uh, it's such a, I guess it's an interesting life lesson about how sometimes, Jess, you just need to, you need to relax. And you know what? Us diehard Amazing Race fans, we love references to digging through hay, hay bales, hashtag too soon, or getting hit in the face with a watermelon. But it ends with them having a nice little spa day to themselves. That's true. And I, I mean, if anybody needs a spa day, it's probably Phil. Yeah, that's very true. Hopefully he got to enjoy the uh, spa reward that Team Fun is going on with the Bahamas, because he seemed to luxuriate Jeff Probe style in that language. Yeah, he was. I, I'm surprised he didn't drop in all the fixins in there. I mean, I guess I'm assuming it comes with, including the stingrays come with all the fixins as well. That's my assumption. It's included. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want a stingray that doesn't have the fixins. <laughs> yes, that's very true. I, I I think Max Dawson would probably disagree, but. <laughs> so anyway, the one thing I wanted to highlight here was. Colin and Christy opening up their clue and getting the phone and seeing that they get to book their own flight on the app. And for a hot second, you see them being like, oh, this is just like the first time we went on this show. 
And then quickly realizing, no, we're just pretending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those of you that, that might not have seen their first season or don't remember, Colin and Christy were supernaturally good at navigating airports and booking flights. That was back in the days where you would book your own flights to get from place to place to the point where one leg, they, which is maybe like, you know, only superseding what Becca and Floyd did in this leg in terms of pure dominance. They finished a leg, I'm pretty sure, almost 24 hours ahead of the other teams. They got a good flight. They happened to have a leg that had a fast forward that had them skip all the other tasks and go to the pit stop. So they they got things done lickety-split because they had such great flight navigation skills. Admittedly, I think their hands have been a bit cuffed here, but at least we got some airport footage this episode, so I'm not going to quibble too much. Yeah, well, we needed the airport footage because we needed to have a little bit of a reckoning between all the teams that you turned and the teams that were you turned. Oh, this was so much fun. I just love love the dual peace offerings and just the comparisons as well. Like you have Becca and Floyd offering Tyler and Corey this trail mix that hopefully uh, Julie McGee did not try to smuggle away if she was competing on the race with John Rocker. Uh, and that seems like a pretty nice gesture. And then what did the Rileys come over and offer? Like the bag from the roadblock? Yeah, I don't know what they were uh, it looked like a scarf, maybe. It's like, oh, I just pulled this thing out of my bag that I'm not using. Maybe I can give it to Becca. Yeah, exactly. But I loved, I mean, Tyler was so much fun this episode for the reaction. So when they come over and talk to Becca and Floyd, you just hear Tyler go, oh, a peace offering. And just him <laughs> cutting to his face. And even Chris and Brett pointed out him just sort of like, like not having a poker face whatsoever. His cards are facing the entire way and the cards are saying like, wow, this is a pithy gesture because we just had the same pithy gesture done to us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, yes, of course, Becca makes her own trail mix. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, I think, you know, had they been back in Colorado, it would have contained much more interesting substances, maybe substances that would garner uh, desires for more trail mix. But, you know, you make do with what you got on the race. Yeah, it's it's true. It, it looked it did look in fairness like pretty good trail mix and it's probably a better offering than oh, here's a sock that I'm not using that I found in my bag. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? They need to keep on to that sock cuz that's a new muppet next to roaming gnome. Yeah, yeah. It's I, the next set of commercials is just going to be Phil with a sock on his hand talking to the gnome <laughs> as like Phil descends further and further into the heart of darkness. Uh, I, w- but, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it to be honest. I I'm here for it, 100%. Uh, but yeah, we're going to give Becca a piece of clothing out of her bag and then go make an alliance with someone else. I mean, this is interesting. A nice callback to a non-elimination legs of the past that they're giving their way their own clothes without even coming in last this time. Uh, yeah, so it looks like we have a big brother alliance going on uh, to not U-turn each other. And this is where I want to take a, a brief, again, sort of uh, temporary walk down Amazing Race history lane because we did get a couple of questions about this of, oh, well, uh, Rachel and Alyssa already used their U-turn, so why does it matter? You know, the deal that they make. So it was a rule up until several seasons ago that when you use a U-turn in the race, that's it. You're done. You can't use them anymore. But that's when the U-turn was available, what, like five or six times over the course of a race? Now, I want to say starting maybe, what, season 25 or so, you can just do them willy-nilly. So they're definitely looking out for each other in uh, trying to protect each other. To Victor and Nicole's point, it seems like they were sort of going to do that anyway. I mean, do you make anything of Chekhov's Big Brother deal? We saw Janelle sort of allude to it when she worked with Rachel at the end of the leg. But do you think this thing has legs at all? Eh, I, I don't think so. I, I think this is like the this is pretty much the only 
in-game leverage you have to make alliances is if this thing comes up, I promise not to use it on you. And that's a pretty flimsy thing to have an alliance around. So I'm not sure it's really, it's pretty easy to agree to be in an alliance with someone on The Amazing Race because you can still race exactly as hard as you were before. And all it is, is maybe I won't do that thing when I see the thing. But the U-turn, Mike, I think has never been more than Three times in a season. It's not always, hmm. it's not been like the fast forward um, where it showed up a lot. I think they mostly suspended the rule on how many times you could U-turn somebody when they realized that if you have somebody on the race who's really, really vindictive, they'll make for great television if they're allowed to keep sabotaging other teams. Yep. Hence season 20, essentially, <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it- and I, I think that it's interesting as well that you bring up that idea of leverage, because I think especially now that it seems like uh, Express Pass GG, it's, well, I think with the days of the Express Pass are dead and gone now, it, there's not really a lot of stuff that you can leverage with, I guess, outside of random pieces of clothing and trail mix. Yeah, I and I mean, random pieces of clothing have always been something that people could trade amongst themselves. Don't try to trade it with any of the locals, though. You do get dinged for that. Um <laughs> But it is there. Are, there's one other place where I think it comes into play to make an alliance with someone. And really, it's so circumstantial that this almost never comes up either. But if you're at a task with somebody and you are both supposed to come up with the same answer to a question. The other person that's there, if you know there are teams behind you and you just want to get done quickly, there is no downside in that moment to partnering up with somebody and coming up with the same answer together. But that's a very specific circumstance. It's usually like you'll be someplace and you have to count all the steps somewhere. And so if both of you count, you both have to come up with the same answer and give it to somebody. So you might as well work on that together. Yeah, and that's why we didn't really see it in this episode, even though we did see, like, Eliza and Tyler and Janelle and Rachel work together. When you're inherently judged as an individual, you might help each other along, but at the end of the day, it's your own performance that's indicative of how you do. In those situations where you just need to write an answer on a whiteboard and hand it in to somebody who looks official behind a desk, it's much easier for everyone to pool their answers together. And I'm assuming, considering how much drama that causes, we even saw that last season with uh, Jessica trying to sneak out before the other two people that she was working with, I feel like it's coming sooner rather than later. Oh, I'm sure. Those are always more fun. And it's so rare that you have a task where helping another person is not going to slow you down. And when those happen and it makes the strangest bedfellows, I think that's really a lot of fun. I am so happy that this leg was a night, Jess. I'm always good for a big old chaotic night leg. It seems like they purposely planned this because obviously the optics for the light dancing would not be great at two in the afternoon. Karaoke is not fun during a mid-afternoon thing. And Says you. And apparently the, the this flower market is apparently like ripping and roaring around midnight or so. So I loved how it sort of uh, emphasized the Vietnam nightlife. That also meant that the commuting was crazy. I think Tyler said at one point that everybody here should be dead, considering how reckless they travel. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, Mike, do you think it's too many night legs? Because we're now two for three on night legs. I mean, I'm fine with it just because we were doing different things. You know, I would say that I think shoe sampling and uh, inflatable mountain climbing are on a very different level than singing, dancing, and fishing. So I think... 
the only pure similarity between them is just the shade of night or the shade of a uh, light outside. And to that point, I also wonder at this point, considering how many countries they've traveled to, what time it is for the racers. You know, I feel like we're really starting to see killer fatigue set in and it's produced really entertaining results. So I haven't really had a problem with it just because this was the first time I think I've really connotated the uh, the time of day with the tasks outside of Rupert and Laura fruitlessly trying to use little mag lights to find a, a clue box inside a well. Yeah, it's true. This one feels a lot more deliberate. I certainly like this one a lot more than the Japan leg because it feels like the tasks were a lot more thought out and pegged to the country itself, where Japan, they were really phoning it in. Like, ooh, two Japanese game show tasks. Yeah, way to bend over backwards for that one, guys. But this made up for it, I think. And it certainly brought about a different side of Vietnam. I think we've been here a few times. We've seen mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And we've never done quite this kind of thing. Yeah, I was trying to think about it. You know, we can definitely talk about comparisons to maybe other editions of The Amazing Race with their tasks. But I feel like we haven't really done a lot of amazing race tasks in Vietnam that really emphasize sort of like the leisurely culture. I think Eliza says at one point, like, I can't believe people spend a Friday night doing this, just sitting here waiting for prawns to come out of this Olympic-sized swimming pool. So it was a cool way to sort of emphasize that culture. It'll be interesting to see where they go next week, because I feel like season 10, I remember with Vietnam, they did like one super crazy urban leg and then one very rural, like rowing around islands leg. It doesn't look like we're going there next week, but we are staying in Vietnam. So I'll be super intrigued to see how they sort of pair those two Vietnam legs this season. Yeah. And I mean, how how cool must it be for Floyd and Becca to be back here and not be almost dead? Yeah. I mean, this is amazing race Ghost Island, it seems, between Leo and Jamal and now Floyd and Becca both reversing the curse of the of the countries that eliminated them last time. Well, I think they're the only ones that have actually been eliminated. Hasn't everybody else made the finals? Well, I think that uh, Leo and Jamal never made the finals. They finished fourth. No, but they've already been redeemed. Right, right. So, yeah, I guess everyone else had made the finals, so no redemption was necessary. But, yeah, it's it's really cool that they're able to sort of tie up that storyline. I know that we got a question as to, like, did Floyd have the biggest redemption story in Amazing Race history? It's up there. I think the only other thing would be if somehow we kept staying in Asia and went to the Philippines and Colin was able to lead an ox to water and make him drink with effortless ease, then I think that would only supersede the performance Floyd was able to make here. Yeah, that's true. Um, And honestly, the way that Colin and Christy have been comporting themselves, if we went to the Philippines next week and that's what happened, it would surprise me not at all. Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, I I feel like we won't talk too much about Colin and Chris because I would say solid, but another low key week for them. But there is a very interesting clip online that I know you brought up, Jess, that is, uh, I think, a great microcosm of just how we should approach Colin and Chrissy 2.0. Yeah, Mike, this was an interesting clip in the secret scenes um, where they're still in Laos. They had about eight hours before they needed to catch their flight. And Colin and Christy are walking by a construction site and a sharp nail falls off of the construction site and gouges him in the head and blood is pouring down his face. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, the Colin that I've seen before, the Colin that I know, would have gone full Hulk and knocked the construction site down with his bare fists (laughs) while screaming and swearing at it. And... He is barely phased by this. He's like, I guess I got to go clean this up now. And he ends up being totally fine. He's got like a little mark on his forehead throughout the rest of the leg. In case anybody was wondering where that came from, that's what happened. But 
I really, I think we got to call it. We're not getting Broken Ox Colin at all this season. Yeah, time of personality change, episode three. I totally agree. And look, from, as a, from a mental health perspective, I love it. And I'm great that he's matured. And I do think he's also shown some other levels of energy this episode. Like when he uh, ended up succeeding during that roadblock, he like almost picked up the uh, the karaoke expert over his shoulder, uh, just in pure excitement. I mean, from what it seems like, and this is a slight Avengers Endgame spoiler, so please tune ahead about 30 seconds or so if you don't want to uh, possibly get spoiled by the reference here. I think that Colin turned from the Hulk in Season 5 to Professor Hulk. This season, where I think he still has those core skills, but he has much more of a calm, copacetic mindset where he's not, if he's going to, you know, show his aggression, he's going to show it in a more efficient way than just sort of letting his kinetic energy out around him in destructive manners. Yeah, it's true. He's really learned how to control his Hulk impulses. And I liked this tweet we got from Watch and Tell, whose comment was, they're en route to being the boring married couple who won't win until the last leg. Yeah, it's so interesting that, you know, Jess, you usually like to say, I want to pick, you know, the most milieu boring team because they usually do the best in the Amazing Race just from a pure performance perspective. I would not have bet whatsoever that Colin and Chrissy would be that couple if you made me a list of like all the 11 teams who would sort of be the most, you know, uh, mild-mannered edited. I would put Colin and Chrissy at the very bottom considering what we saw of them before, but it seems like 15 years will we'll do that to you. And I'm happy that they're doing well. They're one of the most consistent performing teams. They pretty much finished in the top three, all three legs, essentially. So they are one of the, they're in like the very much like the Jason and Amy, Joey and Kelsey territory of like not a win yet, but they are doing very, very solid in a season where everything is fluctuating around them. Yeah, it's true. And I think we were hard pressed to look at this field of contenders and choose who is the most boring team out of everybody and it surprises me that we're even getting a boring team at all but i think it might be colin and christy but we'll we'll wait and see yeah maybe they'll be interesting and exciting in a different way so reel it in versus light it up jess what were your thoughts about these details or these detours i guess sort of on paper before we actually move into what happened in them well mike i think a lot of the tasks end up being a sort of a choice between something that is a skill that if you catch the skill pretty quickly, you will pass the task very quickly, or you could be there for a long time trying to learn the skill versus a task that requires no skill, but a fixed amount of patience. And I think that was writ large here. I think if you could dance, if you could learn choreography, and if you could apparently be through the roof excited about it, you could pass this task pretty quickly. But if you are not inclined to learn dance choreography, you're better off just sitting on your butt for 30 minutes with a fishing pole. And that's not going to require you to be good at anything, but you'll get it done and you'll get through it. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how we talked about in these past two episodes the disparity of experience between the Amazing Race teams and the Survivor and Big Brother teams when it comes to running the race itself and how it sort of has its effect in the results. We see it firsthand here where Tyler and Corey, they know firsthand that they are not dancers. Uh, they made reference several times to 
Poor Corey back in Georgia in season 28 spending four hours on a dancing roadblock. That was when they had been doing super well in the race so far and nearly got eliminated because of it. They just found their one piece of their their Corey kryptonite, as it were. So they knew immediately from prior experience, let's take the fishing. Compare that to someone like Chris and Brett who have never done an Amazing Race fishing task or a dancing task. They have no idea what they're in for. They've only seen what they've seen on TV, where they sort of montage the 27 attempts it takes people to get through these things. So they say, all right, we're going to try it. As a result, they look like uh, two uncles that got out the floor at their niece's weddings and try to, you know, do the twist a little too long. And it unfortunately led to their last place finish here. Well, it's interesting. I think there's a few different theories you could float as to why Brett and Chris did what they did here. And I think that is a very valid one, that they just know what they've seen on the show and they know what looks like it's going to be fast and fun versus what could take forever. And I think that's one way to look at it. I think also something that they alluded to in the episode that I thought was interesting was they wanted to stay with the pack because they would always know kind of where they sat with regard to where they are. Whereas if they had kind of strayed and gone to the fishing task, there were fewer teams there and they have no idea how the other teams are doing at the dancing. So mm. I had heard that floated as a reason they might have chosen it. And I think also there's the theory that like this is in the JL rules, so I can't fault it too much. But you, you pretty much if the ch- if the choice is a task where you work with animals or a task where you do not work with animals, you should always choose the task where you do not work with animals because working with animals lends an element of unpredictability that could leave you in a lot of trouble if your animal doesn't cooperate with you, as Rupert learned last week. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it was that sort of like animal PTSD of, okay, we saw what happened. We're not going to rely on these prawns to jump onto our hooks. We're going to be the, the authors of our own fate. It just turned out to not be such a great fate. And it's also like, you don't know exactly what the dancing is as well. Sometimes it can be a slow Viennese waltz that's more uh, technically proficient and more about, you know, exactly where your hands are. This one was much more to your point, especially the further and further these people got into the attempts of show a lot of energy, flail your limbs a bit, as long as you're kind of on the beat and hit the pose at the end, we're going to give you the clue. Yeah, that's that's true. There's a lot of variance between all of these different types of dance tasks, and you never know which one you're going to get until you get there and try it. And Here's another thing that I think sometimes we watch teams choose a detour option and it seems really inexplicable. Like, why did everybody gravitate toward one thing when the other thing looks so obviously easy? One of the other aspects of the race that they almost never talk about on the air is where are these tasks Mm. relative to where you are when you get your clue? If you know where one is and it's easy to find or it's much, much closer by, you're naturally going to want to choose that one. Versus if your cab driver doesn't know where the other one is, you're not going to bother driving around all night looking for it. I think that comes into play as well. I'm not sure that it did here, but it's something else to think about. There's a lot of kind of unaired reasoning behind people choosing one detour over another. And a little bit of cab drama this episode as well that really began not a great leg for Leo and Jamal, but it really began reminding a bit when you have these people sort of doing their own Marco Polo routine, yelling to each other as they all sprint out of the airport. And Leo and Jamal basically split up and got their own separate cabs. Uh, and then when they had found each other and sort of realized the communication mix up, it sort of gave them a bit of bad cab juju that I think affected a few teams. I know Corinne and Eliza particularly were pretty irritated with the situation they were in this entire leg. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think in recent seasons of the show, we much less frequently see somebody get eliminated down to like one bad cab. But it's something that you do have to take into consideration. And I think Cab Karma did kind of bite the animals this episode. Absolutely. That's why you should never work with Afghan animals or animals. They bite you. Oh, yeah. Well, it's right there in the name. Yeah, sure. exactly. That's why um, I guess Eliza and Corinne should have realized that Scorpion, you know, when they, when I'm surprised that they were able to turn a trick two out of three legs of we don't know where it is. Let's fake an argument. And they believe them again for a hot second. I do give kudos to Eliza for just giving them a very skeptical eye immediately, but they were able to get away with it at least for a little bit of time. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that that worked twice because it's like these guys just won two legs in a row. I think they kind of know where they're going. Yeah, and it's also like, I don't know. I, I wonder if it was also an extra jab because it really does seem like, especially gleaning from the secret scenes, that like these are the two teams that really just do not get along with one another. I do wonder if it was another team, if the Afghanimals would have done something different. The, the Afghanimals are very like Tartufian. Uh, with these yeah. other teams where, like, it seems like from what we've been hearing, they're super nice to everyone else except for Corinne and Eliza. And to Corinne and Eliza, they're just, like, vipers spitting venom at them and vice versa. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I do not presume to know the mind of an Afghanimal. No, never see in the minds of an Afghanimal. They are ruthless and they are out for clues and money and first place finishes at any cost. Yep. So I think it it is very telling that we spent a good 40 minutes of the episode. Like, I, I would say it was 940 by the time we even moved on to the roadblock at all, because this dancing was so visually compelling. And we spent so many tries with most of the teams to get this thing exactly right. Yeah. Who would have thought that just turning off the lights and putting, you know, those lights that you have alongside the aisles and movie theaters on people's bodies would make for such captivating television. I will admit it sometimes made things a little tough. I'm, I was happy for those lower thirds for us to figure out exactly who was who in the dark. But I mean, it also, this is again where the killer fatigue seemed, and the heat especially seemed to get really set in because, at least from my perspective, Jez, it seemed like a pretty easy, like, four counts of four, but I can imagine, given the circumstances, it was probably just difficult to deal with, especially time after time of this, this, like, uh, drill instructor dance crew member denying them clues. Yeah, the thing I thought was really interesting was the task judge telling Floyd and Becca on their first try that they looked good, but they didn't have enough energy or power. Like, really? Are we talking about the same team here? Because energy and power is kind of Floyd and Becca's personal brand. Well, yeah, I think they were going for uh, they were going for authenticity and like perfection more so than enthusiasm. I mean, I guess they didn't walk out in their fun, stoppable wear. So I don't think they understood the moniker necessarily. But yeah, I did love that, that they were the first ones. in, And as soon as they said it, they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a incredible leg for Team Fun from both a personal perspective and, of course, a performative perspective. I will say, did they get lucky that there was a dancing task followed by a singing task for both people who are both, you know, movement friendly and the fact that Floyd is a former drum major? Absolutely. But sometimes that happens to teams. They just happen to, to get really lucky that there were some tasks that really fell in their wheelhouse and they absolutely demolished them and sent teams, you know, in their smoke. Well, sure. Um, I think everybody has a family of tasks that's going to be in their wheelhouse. And I think Floyd and Becca did get lucky. But I think Floyd and Becca are also a very powerful team. They've always been good. They've won legs in the past. 
they wouldn't be back here on the show again if they didn't have some skills. But yeah, I think I think the stars align to give them an extra good week. And I think it'll give them momentum in the coming week. Um, but also, I don't think it was it wasn't like setting them up for a five hole either, because I don't think either one of them is like Broadway ready. And certainly they don't have their like own Tron cosplay suits in their closet at home. Actually, they might. I don't know their lives. No, it seemed like they were all they were both dead set on this being apparently a bucket list item to wear (laughs) a fire retardant suit from the from the, you know, the most recent Vietnamese action flick and to attach a bunch of light LEDs to it and to dance the night away. They were so pumped about it. So I'm glad they were able to capitalize on that. They were able to really funnel even more enthusiasm in when that uh, director asked for it. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, why don't you say so? We got more of that. I will also say MVPs of this entire episode were those poor background dancers. Because it seems like if you total it up, they probably did it, what, at least 75 times between all the teams that did it? Yeah, well, Mike, I would point to two things here. Um, Thing one, they're pros. They probably rehearse things 75 times on a normal day. Um, And thing number two, are we sure that it was the exact same guys every single time? Because it would be really easy, like during breaks, like while they're waiting for the next team to show up, like just get some different guys out there. The lights are off. You're not going to know the difference. And at some point when the Afghan animals are like failing for the 25th time, you're like, okay, uh, sound guy, you want to get in on this? You want to try it around? Because like our, (laughs) our guys are worn out at this point. We're about to menudo them and like get, get them off because they were, uh, they're not able to stand the heat in a manner of speaking. Well, I don't know anything about Vietnamese dance crews. It could be one of those like 200 member dance crews like Jason Mendoza has on The Good Place. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were on their way to uh, rob a bank or something. Though, of course, I think wearing a bunch of lights on you would probably draw some unwanted attention when you're trying to make a trademark for yourself doing larceny. Yeah, also, don't don't try to rob banks at night because all the banks are closed. <laughs> That's very true. Unless you really want to uh, try to stick someone through the night deposit slot. I think you're coming away with zero cash there. Yeah, yeah, very true. So it looks, um, it looks like while Team Fun is succeeding, I know that the Rileys in particular have a very tough time. Not as tough as the Afghanimals. I believe the Afghanimals do, what, like 27 attempts at this dance? The Rileys, though, do 18. It makes them fall considerably this week. And I think it's been such an interesting recurring piece here, Jess. The Rachel Riley flashbacks. And I feel like this is really the only... We saw it a bit with Floyd early on in this episode, but it feels like this is the only time it's happened recurring for one particular person. And I got to say, uh, Brendan Viegas is like the 23rd member of this cast, considering how much he's been seen this season. Well, he tweeted at us, in fact. He said, do I get a sixth man award? I, I think that Brendan actually was on screen more than Nicole was this episode. <laughs> I, I think that's probably true. So what what did you think then about the way that things happened here? Because, you know, it did seem like in the beginning, they were both very kumbaya of like, oh, we're going to prove that like Brendan was the one that was causing all the problems. But I think when push comes to shove, a bit of that Rachel 1.0 and 2.0 comes out. We do have a really fun exchange uh, between Alyssa and Rachel here when things are really down in the dumps. Pull it together. Put your 35-year-old big girl panties on. Not 35. I mean, in fairness, she was 33 at the time of taping. <laughs> I just loved, like, the audacity to call me 35. Do you realize what that means? I almost opened the show with, and now here's two people who are not 35, but then I'm like, I'm kind of older than that. So <laughs> Listen, I mean, you're not being inaccurate. Neither one of us are 35. 
That's true. And even if Rob was here, he's not either. And he's older than both of us. I don't mean to pry into your personal life, Jess. Did you get big girl panties for your 35th birthday? Or is that just an expression? Um, I think everybody gets their big girl panties at a different time in life. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, I believe Judy Bloom said that. No relation. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I feel like it's a very it's a very personal thing. Um, when you decide you're going to be a big girl and wear big girl panties. Well, I think Rachel, maybe she has to wait until 33, 34 to, I just thought it was really funny that it's one of those like, uh, Shane and Courtney from Survivor Exile Island things of like, I'm going to come and kill you in your, in your Essie apartment. She goes, my apartment isn't Essie. It's like focusing on the wrong thing of the statement. You know, Alyssa's saying, cheer up, put on your 35 year old big girl panties. But Rachel's really just concentrated on the age that her sister was hurling out at her. Yeah, yeah, she's going to wear her 33-year-old big girl panties. Thank you very much, Elisa. Yeah, exactly. But they were able, for whatever panties they were wearing underneath those suits, they were able to get it done eventually. Eventually. And I thought it was interesting because one of the things that I remember from Rachel's first turn out there, um, apart from the fun and good task and the continually being thwarted by a team that was just steamrolling everybody that season... I do remember that Bollywood task that eliminated Mark and Bopper, or that didn't eliminate them, as the case may be. Um, I would say almost killed Mark and Bopper. Yes, almost killed Mark and Bopper. And I remember Rachel rolling up to that and saying, I was a professional sports cheerleader. I know how to do choreography. And then being very good at it almost right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So you think it really was the weak link was the, uh, the yoga link here in Alyssa? Yeah, I think maybe we, there's some overestimation of how much yoga helps you in there because yoga, typically you're moving much more slowly. And while I imagine there's some strength and flexibility and stamina involved that was helpful, ultimately, I thought, I thought Rachel said they were both pro sports cheerleaders at some point. So I don't know what Alyssa's problem was. I think Alyssa was just waiting for the dubstep remix to come in, you know, or the like uh, the ballad version of that of the Welcome to Vietnam song where they can just sort of casually go through it. That also seemed to be a uh, Brent and Chris's struggle as well. I think it was just a matter of if you didn't know exactly what the rhythm of the song was off the top of your head, like you need to just almost be an autopilot to get those moves down. I think that's why a lot of teams took them a long time to just sort of once the moves sort of became secondary in their memory and they could listen to the music, then they were really able to get through it. Yeah, I think that's been kind of a recurring theme on all of the dancing tasks is how well do you get the music combined with what you're doing with your body? Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it was it seemed like those were the two teams that struggled the most. But really, I think, you know, it took it took everyone a few times. This is where we got to see Colin again, his his awkwardly energetic energy where like he was raring to go with those like those little steps to the side that they were doing. So he was all too keen to do this dancing task. Yeah, it was interesting to me. Um, actually, Mike, I had a question for you because this is a, this is deep trivia, and I do not expect you to know this off the top of your head, but maybe somebody will tweet this at us. I was very curious because um, Christie's claim to fame before she appeared on The Amazing Race was she had been a beauty pageant contestant of some renown. Mm. A- am I right? You are correct. Yeah. So she says this episode, she has no dance background whatsoever. And she says during the karaoke task that she's not a singer. What was Christie's talent? Good question. She could have done a Miss Congeniality. She could have been playing the the wine glasses. Uh, you know, she could have uh, 
performed with a with a life-size mannequin of Jesus to can't take my eyes off of you a la drop dead gorgeous. I mean there's a, there's a pretty deep well of talent. She could have recited a speech. I'm not entirely sure maybe if someone can dig up a a a, a video of Mix, Miss Texas USA 2002 through 2004 uh, we could exactly see what she did but you know, may- maybe she was able to utilize something, or maybe it's one of those Alyssa things where, like, I did it back in the day, but, you know, I'm not a dancing queen anymore. Yeah, I I was curious about this because I would have thought, like, if anybody would have a choreography background, don't you even need to do the choreography? Like, I'm everything I know about beauty pageants, disclaimer, is from Miss Congeniality and Drop Dead Gorgeous, but... Oh, and also Dumplin', which everybody should see. It's pretty fabulous, but... um. I seem to recall that everybody has to do at least like a little bit of choreography when you do the thing where you walk down and like wave your cut out of your state or something. Right. But if you were doing it in fast motion, if you were power rocking down there, maybe Christy would have had more trouble. I mean, when she used the term dance choreography, you know that she's not a dancer. Well, she could be trying to distinguish from fight choreography. That's true. Maybe that was her talent. Maybe she enacted some of her favorite like Bruce Lee stunts. Like... Again, like in Miss Congeniality. Yeah, exactly. I think that maybe I think we settled upon Christie's uh, hidden talent that she was able to pull off that really netted her some of those beauty queen wins back in the day. Yeah, don't forget to sing. <laughs> exactly. So I guess we should talk about this other half of the task here. Because th- this actually, because I think we had the contestants sitting still for so long, it might have produced the better sound bite. So I'm just going to play uh, when, when Tyler and Corey, who I think, again, were just a huge old hoot, this episode when they were sitting there waiting for those prawns to uh, come into their nets or try to land on the hook. Uh, just a myriad of sounds and sound bites from these guys. What incarnation! He's got a big claw. That- That's a prawn! Oh my god, that is humongo. What? How am I supposed to get that? How do I unhook it? How do I take it off? Open the mouth. Open the mouth? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's just, it's so fun. I mean, I would probably do the same thing if I had to sit around for hours on end and wait for these prawns to, you know, be the arbiters of my fate in the race. I'd probably get a little loopy as well. So to have, you know... Tyler screaming like an old prospector, one in tarnation, or Corey just being aghast at the idea of having to fish a hook out of its mouth is just, it was so much fun to watch. And this is why we watch The Amazing Race. Let's be real. It's for these fish out of water moments where you have people. Ah, a prawn out of water? Yes, indeed, a prawn out of water trying to open its mouth. You have people that are faced with tasks that they would never do in their normal lives. And that's where the comedy comes in. I also enjoyed them chanting for the shrimp. Oh, uh, that was a very fun moment. Oh, I got that one here. Oh, good. Come on, shrimp. 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 Nice assist from the Amazing Race score department. Yeah, I mean, it felt to me much more of like a, a Lou Rawls, like sexy slow jam. Like, I'm going to get the shrimp <laughs> into my lounge later on. Come on, shrimp. Uh, though I do love it also being underscored or compared to Eliza's like, this is a nightmare compared to these two just sort of like serenading the prawns in low bass tones. Yeah, and I don't know ultimately which 
approach was more successful because it seemed like Corinne and Eliza were overall faster at this. Yeah, this is, I guess, a, a, a case where you catch more flies with vinegar than with honey, apparently. Well, if they catch more flies with vinegar, then um, they would have been even faster at that because I feel like Corinne and Eliza are about 95% vinegar at this point. <laughs> uh, so, so I also noticed uh, when Tyler said, What in tarnation? <laughs> Could that be a reference to T-A-R Nation? Is this a double entendre, Jess, considering how big of a fan he is of the show? Ooh, I, I have heard I have heard Tar Nation as a descriptor term for the fans. So anything is possible. I mean, just because I'm very confused why Tyler is suddenly using terms from the 1800s. But maybe it's because he's trying to make some subtle references to the fans out there. that are watching him and Corey freak out over having to pull hooks out of shrimp that look like I don't know. They were looking at that picture that's been going around uh, from that weird pregnancy book of the mom sitting on the exercise ball <laughs> of like super yes. long arms. Like, I don't know who stretch Armstrong these prawns, but they have supernaturally long arms, in my opinion. Is that what your wife looks like, Mike? Uh, Listen, I, we've had to build in some extra armrests onto the bed just, to, you know, in these final <laughs> weeks to make sure that everything is accommodated for. I'm assuming that it'll all, I mean, you can speak from firsthand experience, Jess. Does it all shrink back or are you parentally able to reach things on the high shelves from now on? Um, unfortunately, my arms went right back to normal right after I gave birth. Oh, uh, well, I guess the, maybe these prawns are just in a state of perpetual pregnancy then, or maybe they were catching some shrimp sort of... Uh, in the throes of labor, considering how long those pincers were. What, they're like tribbles? Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why they were so angry, like when Corinne grabbed one and just completely dug into her. Yeah, that was, that was some pretty great television as well. Yeah, I, it was fun to just watch them sort of like freak out about getting one and then <laughs> couple that with them both like howling in pain and just confusingly yelling about about what exactly they were supposed to do. I mean, Eliza put it perfectly that like fishing is a leisurely anxiety-ridden activity, which are two things you would not use to describe Eliza Orleans. It's it's true. They they need patience, and they do not have any. Yeah, but also good on them for also recognizing the fact that, hey, we would suck at the dance. Eliza said it's her worst nightmare. So they said, all right, we'll take a chance here on the fish, and they are able to pass Tyler and Corey through whatever means possible, which was pretty surprising. This was their best leg so far. Yeah, I, I thought it, it went really well for them. Um, I... And it's it says something like there's a particular type of team where a fifth place finish is really, really great. Um, and I hope they keep improving. I hope they keep moving up the ranks. Yeah, I think it's a matter of now we're starting to see Sands, Nicole, and Victor, some of these Survivor and Big Brother teams. You know, they still finish in the back of the pack this week, but I think they're becoming a bit more race savvy. To Chris and Brett's point, they're running with the pack a bit more. And now we're starting to see these amazing race teams like Art and JJ, like Leo and Jamal this episode, really sort of make mistakes that make them fall to the back of the pack when ordinarily everyone else is zooming out in front of them. Speaking of Chris and Brett, I did, it was a rough leg for them, but God did I love them attempting the dance. It went two seconds and they noped the hell out of there and just walked straight off like, nope, we're going fishing. This was a horrible choice. Yeah, they almost didn't even bother to take off the light suits. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, maybe that would have attracted the prawns even more, bright flashing lights. Who knows? It would either attract them or scare them off. Um, I can never keep up with which animal likes what. Well, maybe they could have just dropped the suits in the water, and that sort of would have just taken care of their problem in one fell swoop. Yeah, just electrocute all the shrimp. They all float to the top. You just scoop them up with the bucket. Look, they didn't say you couldn't fish with dynamite in a manner of speaking, so that would essentially what they'd be doing to, to thread the needle a bit. 
Yeah, I, I guess so. But then, you know, everybody else also passes the task in that moment and you lose your lead. Yeah, I guess that's that's a, maybe that's another example you can use to apply of like everyone works together on a roadblock task. If you electrify <laughs> all the water animals, then everyone gets ahead at the same time. This is like one of those Odyssey of the Mind things where you can't tell if this is the solution they want you to give them or if you're breaking every single rule. We might need like the MB addendums to the JL rules, which are just really warped and demented uncanny valley ways to life hack the race. Mike, don't break this show. We just got it back. We're going to have to wait another <laughs> like two years before we get the next season because you figured out all the ways to break it. Yeah, I just got a big shiny Christmas gift, and I'm probably smacking it all over the floor to test its durability. Yeah, you have a lot in common with my son. <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised at that. <laughs> yeah. So do we do we do you have anything else we need to say about the shrimp? No, I we need to get to this roadblock because there's so so many things to talk about with this song. <laughs> There's there's really a lot. It's like a dream. It's like avocado ice cream, Mike. Uh, it's like a man beating his wife and she falls over on the pavement. What am I talking about? So you were talking about a performance of I am going to butcher this name. So I apologize. Uh, Tat Bak No, I believe, by the uh, artist uh, Truk Nan. So essentially what they're doing is they're performing karaoke they have a little ipad booth where they get to practice a bit beforehand and then they get in front of a nice big raucous uh tuesday night before know-it-all's live crowd to perform it to the patrons liking yep and mike this is not the first time we have seen this task if you are a deep nerd like we are you may have been watching other international versions of the amazing race um and i promise you it's okay if you didn't, but all summer long, while everybody else is obsessed with Big Brother, uh, my good friend Dan Heaton and I are doing a podcast about The Amazing Race Canada, and don't worry your pretty head about how we watch Canadian TV shows when we're a couple of Americans, but we have been. Um, they're going to be launching their seventh season this summer, and in season four, they went to Vietnam, and they performed, not only did they perform this exact same task, they performed this exact same task in this exact same karaoke bar. It's a lucky karaoke bar. It's getting good business. Maybe it's it's trying to like hoard itself as, as the official Amazing Race karaoke bar for your Vietnamese needs. Because, yeah, it is a bit strange. There are two different songs. I can definitely play them both so we can sort of get a sense of, of, of what they are. I will say I think the Canadian song is a bit more of like a song I could you know, play while rolling the windows down, driving to the beach during the summer. This other one was more so, it was sort of like what the kids say, it was more of like a bop to it. Do you know? Like, I could just really, like, find myself really getting into it if I'm a, if I'm in a mood, especially given the lyrical content of this song. Well, sure. All right, so I, I can do a quick cross-comparison if, if you want to, uh, if we want to... Well, do we want to wait for Rob? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, let's, let's, let's wait for Rob. I'll have Rob listen to both these songs and give his own musical takes and his true Casey Kasem values. But I guess I'll say on the whole, Jess, how did you think these guys handled their, uh, their take on the song? Well, Mike, I thought it was interesting. Everybody had a different approach to this. And I think these are all the kinds of tasks, like, I'm not a singer, but I am a big fan of karaoke. So when I see a task like this, I get really excited about it because I feel like this is the kind of thing that is is in my wheelhouse. And so it's interesting to watch people 
watch what is being looked for when they perform a song like this and watch what the judges are trying to get from them and watch how everybody takes a different approach to learning it. And I thought some of the best moments of this episode came in the karaoke green room, as it were, while everybody was learning the song. Yes, in the karaoke staging area, Eliza had a rather interesting uh, way to take in the lyrics, which might have graded a bit on her competitors. That's it, we're going. Well, I think what she was doing there was trying to get the rhythms of the words down, and then she would layer the words on top of that, and then layer the tune on top of that, and it's not an invalid way to do this, but I have to imagine if I'm trying to learn it myself and I'm right next to her, I'm not going to like this very much. Yeah, I completely agree with you that I think that's a very sound strategy because it seemed like almost how they were being adjudicated was actually along that criteria, right? I feel like first and foremost was the rhythm. Second was the words. You could be off on a couple of your pronunciations, but things were going so fast that I think even the judges, renowned karaoke experts, couldn't necessarily tell the accuracy of things. And third was tune. I mean, Colin was straight up Harold Hilling it, of just, like, speaking the words. There was no sense of tune, especially because for a guy, some of those notes were in the higher range. I would actually say, uh, I'll give, like, a golden microphone to Victor, who was, like, the... He might have, uh, unfortunately, not delivered on the dancing, in his opinion, but he was by far the best singer. Yeah, I I agree. He sounded great. And I think we've known that about Victor. I seem to recall it came up during Big Brother. Mm, Yeah, he was he's a talented he's talented at music and he's got an ear for languages. So it didn't surprise me that he did very well at this. Um, There was one interesting approach to it that I wanted to call attention to. And I I even I was so curious about this that I actually reached out to the contestant in question on Facebook. Didn't get a response, but you know, the week is young. He may respond yet. But I was interested to see what Leo did with this because mm. I was thinking specifically of Leo taking a similar roadblock back in season 23 um, oh, yes. in Vienna. The infamous uh, poor Tim being completely tone deaf and getting eliminated as a result. Yes. Yeah, so if, if people were making points about the children pointing and laughing at the people failing at the Laotian language last week, that was only a drop in the bucket. That was the first grade version compared to the fifth grade version of the Viennese Boys Choir just embarrassing the heck out of these people back in season 23. Yeah, it's true. Like, I, I feel like you've never known true humiliation until you've been laughed at by a boys choir. Um, <laughs> Let's get a cross stitch of that. No kidding. Um, but I remember the standout performance that season. Apart from Tim, of course, the standout performance in a good way was Leo, who really hammed it up. And he went in there and he nailed it on his first try. He hit all the notes and he sang correctly. And so I was thinking, oh, of course, he's going to take this karaoke roadblock. And he then he goes in there and he takes a curious approach to it. Mm. And I want to know what you think of this, Mike. He listens to the song for like 10 seconds. Then he gets up and tries it. So if you're taking it strictly from a karaoke perspective... It makes sense. We can all count the numbers of times that we've gone out to karaoke with our friends and they say, hey, we want to pull you up to do the other part of Love Shack. And you're like, I don't really know Love Shack that well, but I guess I'll just sort of read the blue words along the screen and I'll sort of get a sense as to what's going on. Uh, And so I think Leo is trying that. What works for your after work happy hour might not work for the Amazing Race in this case. I think he was totally taking like the slice of real life approach to it when this was actually being judged pretty seriously 
You know, I think that what the energy that he could have gotten away with during the dancing challenge in place of accuracy was promptly reversed in this challenge. So I think it was an interesting judgment on his part. I think it was ultimately the wrong one, but I could see where he was coming from. Yeah, that was my first thought with it as well, um, that when you're doing karaoke, you often don't you often pick a song before you think about, do I know every single part of this? And then I, I'm i sure this has happened to you, Mike. You get to the bridge and you're like, I didn't even know the song had a bridge. Yeah. Like the, so, what, the power of love. What's this whole thing about love is fair? Like I, I but you don't care. Yeah, I don't even I don't listen to that part or like or it's one of those things where you uh, you pick like somebody picks Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And they just get, they just totally nope it. But they pull a Chris and Brett and walk off by the middle of it, you know, when it really gets to the powerful ending. Like, there's so many mistakes you can make in karaoke uh, from that perspective. Granted, you know, they were sort of locked into their choice here, but it's a it's a more it's a more detail oriented thing than you might think if you're really serious about it. Yeah, that's true. But I want to posit another theory to you. This might be a little more out there. If you're going into a task like this that you know you're going to be judged on and the judging might be slightly subjective, does it make sense to just jump out there and run through it and see if you can glean what you're going to be judged on before you go back out and try it for real? Mm. Like maybe just go out there and run it in front of the judge and see what that experience is like and what you're going to need to be training for. And then go back and learn the song and get back out there. That's actually a good point. It's sort of like you're reading the room a bit, right? You're seeing yeah. what the environment's like, how many distractions there are, you know, what, exa- what exactly the rhythm of things is, what they might be looking for. And I think it also depends on who's around you. I'm trying to remember, at that point, it was, what, Rachel, Janelle, I don't know if Eliza and Tyler were gone at that point, Brett was there, so... If they do have a queue, it's a pretty small one. So I could totally see it. I, I'll admit at first I was I blanched at it because I'm like, why would you be so cocksure that you think you can get away with it? Especially with his remarks of like, it's just karaoke. You don't need to practice. But the more that I think about it, yeah, the more you've convinced me that I think it's a smart choice to go and at least get a sense of how things are. So you can hop back and, you know, practice your butt off. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he's able to pass Brett, which I think all of RHAP Nation was stunned to find that Mr. Brett LaBelle was not able to pull off a song, albeit it was in a different language. Yeah, I mean, this is the man that sings the theme song at all of the live events. And I have not personally been to karaoke with the man, but uh, as I understand it, he is quite the dynamo. Well, maybe now Rob's going to have to put him up to the challenge of making him sing the know-it-alls theme in Vietnamese next time he's able to come to a live event. Well, I hope someone out there will translate it. Um, Although, I have to say, he could sing the song he sang tonight. Um, Maybe he could sing the English words to that. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, those English words, uh, that's a little bit much. Yeah, do you want to talk about that for a second? Because I know you tweeted that out. The You found the, the genius translation for these lyrics, right? Yeah, and I don't know much about this genius site, but boy, these lyrics. Um, I guess the title of the song that they were learning, and this is apparently a monster hit in Vietnam because the YouTube link had like 70 million views or something. But yeah, the name of the song translates to What a Surprise. But the lyrics, I'm just going to hit you with a verse of this. Please do. Um, much like the man in the song hits the woman, apparently. <laughs> um, the chorus of the chorus of the, the I guess the 
what is it called going up to the pre-chorus? Yeah, I guess um, yeah, pre-chorus. Yeah. The pre-chorus goes, and I quote, So now the most important thing is, that man is hooking up with this woman. That man is cheating on this woman. That man is physically abusing this woman, oh. and she fell down right here. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not okay. Um, I mean, this, and I guess this, this really, like, went from one to ten over the course of an entire yeah. verse of like oh they're hooking up oh that's cute it's like a nice casual fling cheating on this woman okay wow he's uh he has some dalliances physical abuse my god Yikes. this man is a monster and she fell down right here are we memorializing this woman are we like crime scene investigators yeah well in fairness mike i think the rest of the song like the verses of the song seem to point to this is like supposed to be making fun of tabloid culture I guess, but the chorus of the song doesn't clear anything up. Uh, the chorus of the song goes, each day swiftly passes by. The story goes further and farther. On the news, quote, you are quite stupid for breaking up with me. It is not my fault. <laughs> the news on the TV screen day and night is planting in people's mind. A world like a dream, a poem like an avocado ice cream. Oh, what a surprise. Like an avocado ice cream. So I guess yo yo Mike, have you had avocado ice cream? I don't. Th- I don't think I've had a cold avocado. Maybe outside of guacamole in my life. Avocado ice cream is pretty good. Okay, so is does it make you say, "Oh, what a surprise"? Is that what they're trying to say? Like, is it? It's almost like the Vietnamese version of ironic. Like it's like avocado ice cream, and all you have is yeah, a prawn. Yeah, pretty much. It's like ten thousand avocados, but all you need is some ice cream. <laughs> I like it. Okay, now this is making a bit more sense. I more so have quibbles with the video, which is eight and a half minutes <laughs> long. It's like half a thriller. Yes. Have you watched this video, Jess? Uh, yes, I have. So the story behind this video is I do see the tabloid motif going on here because it seems like uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. What's his name? Uh, Truck Nan is trying to do his best sort of newsy take as this beleaguered paper boy who's trying to show the world to, you know, this uh, very reclusive village and sort of getting shoved around all over the place. But uh, there's points in time where he, like, turns a dog into a stuffed dog. There's a good five second shot of just full baby wiener that we see on the screen. Uh, (laughs) Then there's a thing where, like, there's during the bridge, he's a puppet. Uh, that's com- a completely different person with glitter falling down from the ceiling like he's some sort of weird bastardized bye 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 then it turns out it's a, it's a dream but then it turns out that dream is a music video granted all this might be mangled during the the language barrier but i would say it's not the most confusing music video i've seen but still quite up there yeah i mean that's peter gabriel levels of confusing <laughs> exactly that's like uh having christopher walk and dance around an empty hotel level of wtf that's true, but in fairness, people wouldn't do that one at karaoke. Mike, the thing I thought was interesting was they got to watch the real music video while they did the karaoke. That almost never happens. Usually you get, like, some special thing they filmed for it. Yeah, you get static images of, like, a building getting destroyed or, like, how they make a baseball bat while you're singing Unbreak My Heart, you know? They they were able to actually schlep out for the video, uh, which was super popular, though, I don't know if they got to the point with the baby penis or Sailor Moon's picture on a wanted poster. <laughs> or that's, or when he poked at a, a man's nipples. 
I think they only had the part with the Chihuahua. I recall seeing the Chihuahua quite a bit <laughs> yeah. in the course of this task. Yeah, with the, with the dog jumping up and this poor guy like getting rid of this homeless man's dog by turning it like a reverse Pinocchio situation, turning it into a stuffed animal. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how to feel about any of that. Um, and I have to imagine this is one of the elements that Leo was trying to account for was, where is the screen? What is going on on the screen? I don't want to go out there and be surprised by a baby penis. <laughs> That's another cross stitch. Just put it onto the wall. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think that it's it's a good point. And there's a lot around there. I did love how the non-participating racers got to join in there and it varied from you know people sort of sitting on the sidelines to like christy moshing around to jamal doing a jamal and just screaming at the top of his lungs when he got in there yeah i and i think that's got to be a fun part of the task is to I, I it can be fun and i think it can also be frustrating like if your partner is failing a lot of times and you're sitting there uh watching the watching it all go down but i think it's also kind of fun to get to be a spectator and watch everybody go through this which one which more is, a, is more of an earworm or an ear prawn in your opinion jess is it the young now young now or is it last season's uh african oh papa um i would say that young now is much more catchy um, I think just because I, I would recreationally listen to the Zimbabwe and pop tune every single time over this one, it's a better song, but it's harder to get stuck in your head. I think because the rhythms are slightly more complex. So it also sounds like a weird, like klezmer tune. Like, I feel like it'd be the theme song for like a sitcoms, Eastern European relative coming to visit for an episode. Yeah, maybe. I could see that. Or the same way that um, every time the Amazing Race goes to Japan, the score suddenly starts playing that pentatonic. And we're all like, yeah, maybe no, maybe don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of music, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Becca and Floyd, you know, crossed that really dangerous crosswalk, I love the Ten Commandments-like music they played. I know we missed out on Easter by a couple of weeks, but it really did seem like they were parting the Red Sea there. It it did. That was it was very biblical. And they I mean they got a first place finish as well, so it gets the crown on top of their King David like performance. Indeed, Mike, indeed. So is there anything else you wanna get into before we bring in Rob Sesternino to do the feedback? Well, I guess we should say briefly so the Afghanimals definitely seem to hit a wall this episode, and you can say whether it's because of the taxi, the dancing the, those, those I think, were the two big contributors that they were able to pass up into eighth place. They looked pretty unstoppable, not to be confused with Funstoppable, these first two legs. Do we think we should shrug this off as just a bad day? What do you think their chances are now that we've sort of seen them at their worst? Well, I think the Afghanimals have had bad days in the past, and they've bounced back from it. Um, I think maybe they got a little cocky in the first two legs, and I think they sort of got thrown for a loop by this leg um, in a lot of ways and uh, they hit a streak of bad luck and it's all in how you react to your bad luck so let's see how they do next week i think they are certainly capable of coming back from it i think they've come back from worse yeah i think it's also getting good advantage of the amazing race teams that when they know they're in the back of the pack we saw this last week with becca and floyd as well just put your head down and charge forward whereas these survivor and big brother teams just look at their situation and constantly say yeah it's it's true i and i think that gap is starting to narrow so you're really gonna have to be on your toes here because 
I think we've learned why we don't do fans versus favorite seasons on the Amazing Race now, because the Amazing Race teams had a huge advantage in these first two legs. And now that advantage is evaporating. I think people are starting to figure it out. It's all clicking into place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Mike. So now that we've recapped the entire episode, let's bring in Rob Sestrinito to talk about some feedback. Come on, Uh, Rob. Come on, Rob. Yes. This is pie pie. This is fun. Pie pie. This is fun because uh, we're bringing welcome to Vietnam. We're bringing Rob on because he has no idea what we've talked about for the past hour and a half. But we're going to try to make this as seamless of a transition as possible. I can only assume that you've just been trying to book a Vietnamese karaoke space for the next Know It All's Live, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. know. What do you need to practice for? That uh, wait until you guys come to the Bryson Wendell Vietnamese karaoke party. It's Brett allowed through the door. <laughs> yeah no because he did not come to the last karaoke party that we had to be fair i'm pretty sure actually we saw unseen that brett actually finished the song and said okay is that it do i get it what do i need to do and then he actually said it again not realizing that he already had the clue <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> perfect fantastic um yeah so we got a lot of questions about the karaoke challenge so i think we should just dive right in there um, the first question comes from Kurt Clark, who says, so I hate to say it, but given past know-it-alls pre-parties, did Brett just five-hole a karaoke challenge? Mm. <laughs> I don't think that he uh, did particularly bad on the uh, karaoke. I don't know. Uh, did we did we get how many tries it took them like we were getting with the uh, dancing? No, I don't think so. I think the only thing that I saw was that Tyler apparently got it in one take. He was a one take Frank. With uh, with the Vietnamese songs, but I think everyone else did at least a couple. Like we saw Brett mess up once, and then by the end of it, he was like singing along with the crowd in in true Brett fashion, singing that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, too bad that uh, they didn't have to do uh, karaoke on the last leg when uh, they were learning the Laotian language. Uh, sounds like you're talking with a Boston accent. It would have been a more seamless transition for Brett. Go pa da. <laughs> yeah, Vietnamese has a lot more consonants. It's less comfortable for Bostonians. Mm-hmm. And, and comparing it back to the the TR the Amazing Race Canada version, Jess, correct me if I'm wrong here. In the Canadian version, they didn't have like the phonetic pronunciation of the words, right? They actually had the words themselves. They did have the actual words themselves, but I think they were a lot more lenient with pronunciation. Mm, so maybe that's sort of why they were a bit harder on the adjudicating with some of these people is because like you really had to get all those words down in such a quick, rapid, you know, rapid fashion. Yeah, I really did think it was a missed opportunity to use the exact same song from Amazing Race Canada and sneak in a little extra reward for anybody that might have actually watched Amazing Race Canada. I think like giving a little shout out to the deep nerds would have been really fun. Do you think that people on the production of The Amazing Race U.S. follow The Amazing Race Canada closely? Oh, I think they do. I think all of these Amazing Races are very interconnected. It's not the first time we've seen a task show up from an international version of the show and vice versa. Um, like you've seen tasks. I think there's one in particular where people had to make fuel cakes out of cow dung in India. And I think like four different versions of the show have used it. 
Yeah, I guess it's not uncommon with Survivor that we see a Survivor challenge that's uh, been on mm. international versions. Uh, I think even like with uh, Big Brother. So uh, I do think that uh, I don't know if there's like some sort of like a like a Discord of like uh, all of the different Survivor. <laughs> you mean like you mean like the like app like Discord where they're over there talking to each other? Yes, yes, where all all the different productions are around the world. Well, sure, why not? And I mean. Why wouldn't you let your life get a little bit easier and bank on the fact that 99% of the people that watch your show don't watch every international version? And if that idea worked for somebody else, I mean, U.S. Survivor has taken whole game twists out of International Survivor and put them in. I I think I don't want to see it every episode, but I don't mind seeing it from time to time. Mm hmm. Should we, uh, should we, let, I'm going to leave it to, to Rob, actually. I feel like you are such a big arbiter of music nowadays. What, I, what I'll do here is I'm going to play snatches of Shine Your Light, which is the, uh, the song that was performed in the Amazing Race Canada. Well, what are snatches? Uh, it's a, it's, well, <laughs> that's an entirely different conversation, Rob. Uh, but what I could do is I'll play a, a, an excerpt from shine your light which was the song from amazing race canada that's a musical term that is a musical term not going full bloom on i'm trying not to if you had heard what i've been talking about before with this music video maybe oh boy maybe things would have gone (laughs) prematurely um but i'll play a little bit i'll play a little bit of this i'll play a little bit of the song that the racers had to perform in this leg and we can sort of figure out which one which one we prefer at least especially rob you're someone who is completely uh blind to all of this so let, let me start with uh, the something. Hopefully not that. Yeah, let's start with something new here. Let's start with uh, "Shine Your Light." So that's okay. so that's the Canadian uh, edition of things, and then let's, I guess, by comparison, listen to a bit of again. I'll butcher this. Uh, Tutbok no, that the racers performed in this leg. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Uh, I like the uh, second one. Yeah, you're more in the one from the show last night. <laughs> not to, you're not going to shine your light on shine your light. <laughs> no, no. I think that I I will take the second one. All right, all right. Yeah, well, the public agrees with you, Rob. Um, it seems like the video. Maybe it's just because of all of the things that happen in this video, but this YouTube video has way more views than Shine Your Light does. I think Shine Your Light is a better song. And I think, given the choice, I would rather do that one at karaoke. I feel like it's a little easier to learn, but I think they're both a lot of fun to watch for very different reasons. The next patron karaoke is going to be filled with all of the latest Vietnamese hits. (laughs) If you sing this song as the ghost of Casey Kasem, Rob, I think... I think you'd double your patronage. <laughs> I would give you a clue right here, right now. 
<laughs> right? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a fun little interlude um, to use another musical term. Yeah, much better than snatch. <laughs> hey, you know, I it's my favorite of all of the Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> so we got a question from Taylor Cotter who said, was dancing and karaoke a layup for team fun? And what would be the layups for the other teams? Ooh, I would say uh, having to take some sort of like blood pressure test and not let your blood pressure go above a certain metric would be good for Colin. <laughs> <laughs> like that show with John McEnroe. <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that. The yeah. hot seat or that? What was it called? I, I think it was just called The Chair. The Chair. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the only show that did feel like Corporal Punishment every time you watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're, we're coming up with what are the five-hole tasks for... Uh, I mean, Team Fun, uh, they, they really... Uh, I, I'm sure you guys uh, covered this, but uh, really just like a, you know, a hot knife through butter uh, through this leg of the race. Yeah, the only time I've seen them do that well um, was when Becca got the road climbing roadblock. Oh, yeah, but they, rock climbing yeah, they had to climb block. up the cliff, right? And she just like yeah, blazed and, up it. Yeah, she like didn't even bother to like stop and read the instructions she's like all right see ya um mm -hmm. i mean up until this episode i would say karaoke would be pretty much a shoe in for brett and that's what happened here oops <laughs> yeah uh, just uh, that I, I don't know if you guys uh touched on uh this but uh that the look of just uh like uh sheer happiness on becca's face as floyd was singing the song like i, I really felt like uh that was like the embodiment of the amazing race to me that uh, she just uh, seemed like so happy about this, uh, like the absurdity of the task that they were doing. And she was so into it. Uh, like, they really do have such an infectious energy. I mean, they do not come by the name Team Fun lightly. It is interesting. Yeah. I We did get a question. I don't know if we pulled it. That was like, is Team Fun the most lovable duo in Amazing Race history? And I'm going to pull out a hot take here, Jess. I don't know if you'll agree with me here that I think... Team Fun is the most lovable duo since Team Cha 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 from OG Amazing Race Days. Wow, that goes that goes back quite a ways, Mike. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think they were just like in terms of being universally loved. I think you could put like Brooke and Claire on there as well, but it really does seem like they are so effervescent. They're so energetic without sort of going into that that realm that I sort of complain with about the with the Afghanimals of being a bit too try hard for the cameras. Like they're able to lean back and relax into their natural personas while still being so naturally energetic to the cameras. It helps, to your point, Rob, that they got a very set of beneficial tasks in their set of skills. But, I mean, they were having a, the time of their life this leg, and it absolutely showed. I just think that they are almost like if, you know, the what what the ideal team is in terms of like uh, temperament, just in terms of that they're they're wide eyed, uh, you know, that, uh, that they go places and it's like wondrous and they're super optimistic and uh, excited and uh they they're just like uh you know, seem seem like that they really enjoy every second of being out there. Yeah, they definitely, I think that's just naturally who they are, as opposed to, I think the Afghanimals, that's who they want to be. And so sometimes that rings a little false with the Afghanimals because they're still striving for it, whereas Team Fun is already there. Mm -hmm. mm. And 
the the Afghanimals that I, I do appreciate that they I think they bring something else to the show where I, I feel like that they are willing to be you know uh, you know a bit mustache twirly at times and yeah. to really just you know wear the the black hat and sort of own that and while I I understand that uh, it's not appealing to everybody I, I at least uh, am appreciative that they are there and they are doing that on the show. Because I think that when the amazing race gets, as Aubrey put it, you know, kumbaya amazing race, I don't really care for that. It's interesting because I feel like the past few seasons, we might say that everyone was sort of passing around the black hat saying, I don't want to wear it. Now it seems like we have people scrounging for the black hat. I really feel like between mm-hmm. maybe another reason why the Afghanimals are sort of getting in a bit of conflict with Corinne and Eliza is because they're both teams that are outspoken about their opinions and willing to be brazen with said opinions. And I think that maybe is one reason why they're butting heads so much. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, the uh, comparison between the two where I feel like that uh, the team villain and the Afghanimals are sort of like villains in opposite ways where I feel like that uh, Corinne and Eliza are more sort of like the, uh, you know, confessional assassins, mm. whereas the Afghanimals are more of the underhanded tactics in the game and so it's sort of like uh, different sides of that villain coin yeah i haven't seen people scramble for the black hat this hard since the wand off (laughs) (laughs) so back to the question um this was a great jumping off point but can you envision tasks that would be potential five hole tasks for the other racers hmm okay uh, um, Victor well, Victor would probably be something like get eliminated in this task five times and c- come back each and every time. <laughs> and Nicole also came back uh, when she That's got true. out in Big Brother 16. So they've been, they've been uh, be praying that there's some sort of like Redemption Island style elimination twist that they ever end up going on this season. Hmm. Yeah. So I right, throw out some more team names and let's see uh, what we can uh, come up with. Um. Let me see. Um. Uh... We found out we found out what Chris and Brett's isn't. Um, <laughs> what is Chris and Brett's five hole? I feel like well, well, uh, well Chris is the, the one challenge that I remember Chris doing really well at in Millennials versus Gen X was just the water challenge where he just like stampeded into the Millennials and knocked them aside. So I feel like if it's him sort of walking around people that are different Millennials. Yeah, if you him walking over Millennials, teams must walk into the middle of this. I don't know, in the middle of this startup company and just kick everything over. That's that's Chris's task. Uh, I mean, if, if we're going to be uh, serious about it, just in terms of like uh, brute strength, if they can end up on like one of these legs where it's like the teams will have to move these, uh, you know, uh, 50 tons of lumber from over here to over there, like uh, they've got a huge advantage on any of the other teams. That's probably true. And I think, it's it's weird. I was thinking about like watching the two of them and thinking about how much in every other season of The Amazing Race, it's kind of like two, you have the two team members and one of them does all the talking and has the personality and the other one's kind of a dud. And I was thinking we kind of have this with like Brett is finally getting a chance to shine on a CBS reality show and Chris like barely says a word. But then I think when it comes to challenges, that's when we're going to see what Chris's contribution is to this because he is, he's a former elite athlete and he is going to be able to do those kind of brawn tasks where some of the other teams might struggle 
Yeah, there was nothing about brawn on prawn, but not brawn <laughs> on this leg of yes. the race. Ooh. Brains versus beauty versus prawn. Yeah, Mike. can we put up the brand steel? Brains versus prudy versus prawn. <laughs> All people named prudy versus. <laughs> yeah, you're a prain in my something or other. <laughs> Sprains versus prudy versus prawns. I think it's uh, now we're now we're workshopping it. Rachel and Alyssa. Uh, the sprain is a hell of a dance. <laughs> I would say Ra- Rachel and Alyssa's five hole. Oh, that's a good one. I'm not entirely sure about maybe like a- making fun of Brendan. Oh, yeah. Or like or, or maybe like a telenovela acting scene where like they really need to throw themselves oh into it considering like the the emotional reactions that they tend to have. I would argue that's the Afghanimals. That's their five <laughs> they, just, hole they just live life as a telenovela. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, let's see. Corinne and Eliza. Is this going to be like where they have to like write a burn book about everybody else? <laughs> um, yeah, that, they would definitely uh, do well about that. Uh, uh, Eliza is really strong at uh, the, like puzzles and yeah. the, uh, like mental tasks. And uh, I think that, you know, if, if something like uh, came their way, I feel like uh, th- they would be the team that probably would be able to fly through that the quickest. I also feel like Eliza, touted, I think she's been to like 75 countries or something. So if they do like an Amazing Race 8-esque finish where they have like a giant map of the world and they had to put up flags as to where they went i feel like they could nail that without even a sweat memorization yeah i feel like that anything that's just uh like some sort of like uh you know puzzle solving i think that's that's right in uh eliza's wheelhouse yeah definitely true and we also know you know um, if, if, it, if it comes to reciting anything she has a, a manner of memorizing <laughs> That's it. We're going. <laughs> so just imagine that with any sort of, of, of memorization task. I think she's got it down. <laughs> love it. I love it. Um. All right. So let's get another question up here on the board. I actually I have a, a good question from uh, Holly Tooker, who has kind of a two part question. Um, And this is another one of those kind of Amazing Race 101 things that we got to take for granted and don't really discuss here so uh, she says isn't it strategically stupid to make enemies early on the amazing race and where do eliminated teams go thanks for answers i'm loving team fun they go to the edge of extinction yeah they go hang out with reem <laughs> dude <laughs> everybody's traveling around the world this isn't even like a holiday inn you better bring us some towels young now <laughs> Young now, young now, young now, dude. <laughs> I'm all here for karaoke Reem. I think that should be the newest task on Edge of Extinction. Karaoke. Um, but to answer the the latter part of the question, so hey Chris, how come you don't catch any of these prawns? <laughs> that is one heavy prawn. Yeah, it's quite the opposite of a prawn. Uh, jumbo size, more so for Chris Underwood. Oh dear. Uh, but, uh, it, we're not going full bloom. Not no, no, again. If you listened about half Shut an hour down. back, you would have heard something very different. Uh, but the, to answer the latter part of the question, so the teams sort of go to their own sort of like traveling Ponderosa where they do get sequestered. Uh, you know, sometimes they go on other trips. Sometimes if it's super late in the race, they'll actually run the final leg along with the other three teams to sort of distract. There's a lot of great like trackers out there in the reality TV spoiler verse for amazing race where when they know where a place is filming, they'll stake out locations 
and see what teams are there to sort of figure wow, out. I didn't know that. Yeah, Reality Fan Forum is like a regular Nancy Drew Haven of people who will scout out all these locations. So they sometimes send them out as, you know, dupes uh, to really dupe quite literally the other people. Actually, for a while, there was in the in the vein of Ponderosa videos, there was a, a series of videos called Elimination Station where when teams were eliminated from the race, they would sort of show them hanging out in this lounge and they'd meet up with the other eliminated teams and sometimes there'd be animosity, sometimes they'd have fun, et cetera, et cetera. So that's still where they go. They don't go immediately back home. Uh, they're, they're still sort of sequestered until the end of the race so as to prevent spoilers. Hmm. Yep, that's a pretty comprehensive answer, Mike. Um, but yeah, there is a whole community of people. And mostly these days, it's much easier to do because you can go on social media. But there were people back in the day who would just like go hang out at the airport on the day that filming started and like wait for teams to arrive and like give them money and interview them and find out who they are. And all of this like kind of behind the backs of the producers. And I think some of that has been cracked down on. But in other ways, the spoiling has been blown wide open. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. Find a new hobby, people. <laughs> well, what was it? what was the first question again about making enemies early on? Because it seems like, to yeah. a point earlier, teams are not afraid to do that. And I wonder if maybe, as we talked about last week, having a U-turn so early on might have helped stir that pot a bit. Uh, we saw that with the with the you know the the gifts uh, to peace the peace offerings that were made earlier on in this episode. It seems like there's a good amount of animosity that's existing, even between like Amazing Race inter-show teams as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good idea to make enemies really at any point in the Amazing Race. I think that you want to be lovey-dovey with as many teams as possible, so people are likely to help you. I mean, early on in the race, just uh, I don't see any advantage in uh, you know getting into animosity with the other teams. Yeah, I don't think it's ever a good idea to make an enemy, but I also think you can get away with a little bit more on this show than you can on necessarily uh, a Survivor or Big Brother. Like, someone pisses you off, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to U-turn you? Oh, wait, U-turn board just happened. It's probably not going to happen for another couple of legs. Like, they can sort of give you the stink eye or they can not share their trail mix, but there's comparatively little that a team can do and we've talked a little bit earlier in this episode about all the different ways that teams help each other out and how alliances work. But at the end of the day, you can get away. You could theoretically get away with not ever speaking to another team throughout the duration of the Amazing Race. I just think there's so many times, though, where you go up to a challenge and if everybody likes you, like people like, uh, oh, OK, what do you have so far? OK, you, there's just so many times where you can collaborate with the other teams where I feel like if everybody hates your guts or if there's other teams that don't like you. I think that you have to really just uh, count on yourself so many times. And all it takes is, you know, one sideways leg for you and you're out of the race that I, I, I don't see the upside. Yeah, there's never an upside to pissing people off. That is true. Um, I also think that a lot of these teams are going to be primed to make waves because that is how you kind of go along and get along on Survivor and Big Brother a lot more. And mm-hmm. I think you're going to see the Survivor and Big Brother teams a lot more focused on, okay, what do we name our alliance? Like, who are we working with? And I think that'll distract them from the main objective, which is to win the race. Yeah, on that note, I did see some secret scenes where 
people were saying like, oh yeah, Survivor and Big Brother brought all these alliances to the Amazing Race. But at least from our perspective and watching a bunch of previous seasons, are we getting that sense? Does this does this feel a lot more alliance heavy slash clicky than it does as of late with Amazing Race? I mean, it, it's happened in the past. It's not an unusual occurrence. Um, of course, we've had Survivor teams on this show going all the way back to season seven. I really liked what the Big Brother teams uh, did in uh, this uh, leg of the Amazing Race, where they, uh, you know, made the pact to uh, not U-turn each other. I mean, we didn't see it on screen, but I, I can guarantee you that you know, at no point will uh, you know uh, Corinne and Eliza be uh, U-turning uh, Brett and Chris, or vice versa. So, uh, but I, in terms of like there being three teams on the Big Brother side that did that, I, I did really like that. And we saw at the end where, you know, Janelle and Brittany, uh, you know, called out to uh, Rachel and Alyssa to get them to the mat. Yeah. And I think that also it makes sense given the fact that as we pointed out last week, basically all the amazing race teams or amazing race adjacent teams were the ones that U-turn each other. No one was even batting an eyelash at the Survivor and Big Brother teams. And it also seems like you know the uh, the team team fun has gotten back to their weekly uh, video recaps where they do a lot of interesting behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, they also U turned Tyler and Corey because the Afghanimals lied to them that Tyler and Corey were the only ones behind them. So now their animosity has turned onto the Afghanimals as well. So I still think, depending on when a U turn comes up, that maybe we'll throw Rachel and Alyssa in there. But I still think we're in this mentality of all the Amazing Race teams targeting one another that it makes sense that these other shows will say. You know, okay, while they're doing that, we're just going to have our own thing going on, and hopefully nobody will pay attention to us while we're skulking along under the radar. It's a very valid way to run the race, Mike. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do we have time for like one or two more questions, do you think? Yeah. Okay, I've got a good one uh, from Jess East who says... Who will be the first Big Brother team to be eliminated? Before last night, I would have guessed Janelle and Brittany, but it seems like Rachel and Alyssa might struggle more in the future, especially if they're making enemies. Hmm. I I could see it. And one of the reasons why I, you know, I picked Rachel and Alyssa so early on in that draft we did back in like 2014 was that, you know, Rachel has <laughs> Rachel has a wealth of experience. She's made the finals two times before, but it really does seem like you know, there, there have this was not a great leg for them, especially the dancing task. I think really tripped them up. It seems like they're also having some interpersonal conflict as well, and it seems like Janelle and Brittany, outside of their one between the one slip up with the uh, the train station in the first leg, and between them crashing a wedding in this leg, they've been pretty solid. So I could see as much as it would stink to lose Rachel and Alyssa because I think they're so entertaining. It would really stink to lose anybody at this point, but I could see a world where Rachel and Alyssa end up being the eliminated before Janelle and Brittany and Rachel Riley is finally eliminated from an amazing race season. Hmm. I'll say, I think Janelle and Brittany go out before them. I just think Janelle and Brittany, we've seen so little from them through uh, three episodes of the amazing race. I I feel like that uh, they might be the most under edited uh, team so far throughout these uh, three episodes. And maybe that speaks to that. They have a a lot of story uh, left to come, but uh, I just don't, feel like that the show is treating them like they're important parts of this season overall rob i know we so rob are you saying go, go ahead <laughs> rob are you saying they're not getting a winner's edit i don't think they have a winner's edit but i also uh i have uh, a little more faith in uh rachel although i really don't like uh any brendan bashing <laughs> did you what did you think Rob? because i know big brother twitter was interested was interested in this just the the site 
of Janelle Pierzina and Rachel Riley working together on a task. Do you think we would have ever seen that in, in like just even in pure thought in the past thinking about Big Brother? No, but I, I also know that uh, Rachel is a big uh, Janelle fan. I feel like that without Janelle, like uh, there is not uh, the Rachel character. So, uh, I mean, it is like a, uh, you know, uh, really cool to see that all come together. Yeah, it was, it was really fun to like scratch that big brother itch. And it just makes me hopeful that I hope both of these teams keep on surviving because uh, I think that keep on big brothering i'm sorry i used the wrong verb there uh just because i think they're both great i do see your point rob that i think oddly enough Brittany and janelle are the purple team which is so strange given especially Brittany's propensity for great sound bites but between the 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 energy go ahead yeah you know i was gonna say that uh i was talking about this uh earlier today that uh the amazing race is a different show than survivor big brother where uh both survivor and big brother are very confessional heavy where especially big brothers is so much time in the diary room there's so many confessionals on survivor really on the amazing race you sort of see like a little bit confessional like in the beginning of the episode but overall it's just the rest of it it's like stuff that's happening you know out in the wild and a little bit of like these on the fly interviews it's not very confessional heavy so if these characters that we know from these other shows got a lot of their airtime by way of confessional where they had like all these uh you know uh great lines and jokes about what was happening that if they are not sort of like uh, be able to deliver those organically or in uh, you know specific moments we're just not going to get those on the amazing race so in other words at the at the airport um at lax in a trash can in the ladies room there's probably a binder (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe yes so okay um let's find one final question to send us home here and i'm gonna find a good one oh it's not an elimination like though jess we should we shouldn't be going home no, nobody's going home. Everybody's staying here all night. Um, let's see. And here is well. Here's one final question, and then I want to then I want to throw it to our weekly game uh, okay. where we write our Amazing Race fan fiction, and I think this leads into it quite nicely. So Michael Shea asked us, "Do you think the season is now incomplete because we did not get to see Rupert attempt the karaoke challenge?" Mm. <laughs> <laughs> would have been great to see rupert in the uh light up jumpsuit also although i wonder if he might have uh instead have uh dove into the prawn tank with a spear ah! I mean, <laughs> we did talk about this a little bit up front because we couldn't see rupert not choosing the fishing but i i agree that rupert in the light up suit would have been all time <laughs> yeah i could see like you know uh when we have Corey just blanching at this idea of uh, having to interact with the prawns. Open the mouth! I just see Rupert just reaching in there, like, up to his elbow, grabbing the hook, and just moving on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a a big prawn if it goes all the way up to Rupert's elbow. But, But I totally would love to see that as well, of him being like, I finally get to fish. It's been too long. <laughs> Prawns are my spirit animal too. <laughs> I have a new spirit animal now. The prawn. <laughs> yes, I, I think we're in agreement that the real loss this episode is not getting to see Rupert at the prawn restaurant. Yes. Um, Mike, is it too late to uh, work on a cartoon of a uh, new CBS reality character called Prawn Clark? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love Claudma. <laughs> what, Cla- what color would he be? Yala? Yala. Yep, the Yala color prawn. <laughs> I think it could work. I, I could, we could, we I've, could. Got, I've got big pinchers, and I am a sneaky guy. I will pinch you. I think we could have what? We could have uh, Gavin Guppy will be his little sidekick. Julie Jellyfish is one of his best friends. <laughs> I think we can make this happen. From the creators of Sir Squiddington, it comes. <laughs> the Adventures of Fron, Fron Clark. <laughs> get, get on it, CBS. It'll be out and airing next to the uh, the new animated Star Trek series. It's the perfect one-two punch. Ooh, okay. uh, all right, well, let, I guess we, let's get into our Noah alternate universe. Uh, because this, is, this would be actually, I think, maybe second only to Team Fun. I feel like this would be a very interesting leg for you and steven rock yeah. were you to run it well, yeah steven and i might have been able to co-opt uh, team fun also uh, much like uh rachel and Alyssa were uh debating who should be the real team fun that would be me and steven are you sure steven wouldn't yeah. try to adapt some sort of like three syllable synonym to it instead <laughs> such as i mean it'd be like team felicitous four <laughs> <laughs> <more> syllables <laughs> That's why I'm not on Team Fun. <laughs> yeah. So I guess let, mm. let let's start with uh, there were there were a few and far between tasks here. So I guess we'll just start with the detour. So just do you think Rob and Steven would dance or fish? I'm pretty sure they would fish. I gotta get the fishy. I I would agree as well. Uh, just because I have seen the Insta story behind Rob's 40th birthday party, and uh, can I just say for the record <laughs> that. Uh, I'm in a, a you know, a, a public place and somebody's just like, uh, hey, dance the macro. I'm like, what is going on right now? I- I'm sorry if I did not have full commitment on to uh, I, I like uh, I'm like, what is happening right now? Am I being mobbed? Is somebody going to uh, attack me? <laughs> well, I think that it adapts you for the amazing race. You never could have known when it would turn into a roadblock flash mob. Uh, I mean, I, th- right. I think that's what they were looking for. They were looking for energy. They were looking for enthusiasm. And I think that also uh, you probably would have provided. You guys you ever hear the phrase dance like nobody's watching? This was dance <laughs> like a bunch of people are watching and you're being filmed. OK, that's, a, that's another cross stitch we can put up there. Uh, I mean, I also. Yeah, we're, we're killing it today in the cross stitch. I also think that Robin and Steven would have a very uh, I, I don't know if you guys caught the moment where after Tyler caught the last prawn, he like did a nice glamour mug to the camera that Corey completely mm-hmm. just glossed over. I feel like you guys could definitely sell it and you need more time to do that so maybe you take the more uh time insensitive task of fishing instead yeah i think that we'd still be there if we attempted to do the dance challenge and so on that note jess i feel like steven's gonna defer to rob for the karaoke right yeah i well i actually i have a whole fan fiction scenario in my head all right rob definitely takes the karaoke and because Rob says he is, you know, he's the performer and he attends karaoke and he's totally cool with it. And he's kind of the party guy. And Stephen goes and he sits on the couch and Rob goes up and does the karaoke and fails at it. Uh-oh. And we camera swings around to Stephen. After a couple of tries, Stephen's got his head in his hands and he says, this isn't a singing task. This is a linguistics task. And I really should have taken it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then Rob's going to pull it out. <laughs> I love Steven's <laughs> soliloquy about just how, what yeah, did I great. do? What did I do? What are the choices mm-hmm. that I made? Yeah. 
Steven was uh, very gung-ho about uh, trying to do karaoke when we were going to be in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, I, I don't think I'm speaking too much out of school if I can reveal that uh, he actually wanted to do a, a duet at the uh, Philadelphia patron karaoke. And he wanted to perform the song Shallow. And that he, that I was going to be Bra- the Bradley Cooper part, and he wanted to be Lady Gaga. Wow! Wow! All right, this that, is this is not a fan fiction. This is a f- I I'm, I'm I'm reduced to nonsense syllables. Oh wow! wow, wow oh, now wow, you're wow, speaking wow. Laotian. Uh, that this is yeah. Well, now I'm now I'm singing shallow. This is, this is this is a Photoshop waiting to happen. Now I'm just now I'm just imagining this entire scenario playing out. Uh, that'd be great. I guess one other question I can ask as part of our know-it-all alternate universe is: so we saw a lot of teams coming together here. Just if you could pick one current team in the race that you think Rob and Steven would try to join up with. Granted, they to the point we made before, I think they'll still try to remain in good graces with everyone. But if they could pick one team to sort of Janelle and Brittany slash Rachel and Alyssa, hey, we'll shout where the pit stop is. Who do you think they'd pick? Well, I think I can see two teams. Um, I can see one team approaching them, and I can see them approaching one team. Mm, I think, like, I think, yeah, I, the- I think the survivor teams do stick together. I think they do end up like teaming up with Brett and Chris, and of course, Brett is podcast family. Yeah, but I also and, and, see, and so is and so is Corinne and Eliza has been yes, on yes, yes, a, a bunch a bunch of times. So I think all the survivor teams that we would have no uh, no issue uh, working with uh, any of the survivor teams, even Rupert and Laura. Yeah, I think that would have happened. But I also the other thing I would have seen happening is of all the teams that are out there on the field. Only one of them was so invested in RHAP that they extracted a promise for me to draft them onto a team if they ever returned to the Amazing Race. And so I think Tyler and Corey mm-hmm. would be fanboying all over Rob Sesternino, and they would definitely want to team up with you. I mean, that might be a little bit of a of a of a stretch to say fanboy, but I think I would have uh, you know gotten along really well with uh, Tyler and Corey. I think Team Fun. Uh, I, I think uh, I can imagine that uh, I can imagine that the Rileys are approaching you as well, considering your relationship with yeah, Rachel. True, sure. sure. True. I, I feel like that Janelle and Brittany are uh, are not having it. <laughs> I feel like that they've <laughs> they have no use for Stephen or I. I would love to see uh, Brittany Haynes react react with Stephen Fishback just in any environment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that you know uh, Brittany and Victor might be uh, you know lukewarm. Colin and Christy have no Fair. use for us. <laughs> Colin and Christy don't know what a podcast is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Afghanimals would like, uh, like, uh, say, agree to whatever we said, but then like be working to like undermine us. Yeah, they, uh, the Afghanimals would like tie your shoelaces together and put "kick me on your backs" before leaving the task. <laughs> right, and like drop a banana peel on the floor like uh, Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm loving this fan fiction. It's like you're there. <laughs> yeah, it's very immersive. It is. All right. So, is there anything else you want to add about the episode, Rob? Before we put it to bed? No, it was fine. Uh, I thought uh, episode uh, leg three. I thought it was a little uh, early for the non-elimination, but you know, it served my purposes uh, just fine. Happy to have uh, Brett and Chris uh, stick around, and uh, looking forward to what, where we go next. So, we're, yeah, we're staying in Vietnam. 
looks like we're going a little dangerous. We're going to a, a weird moped school, and it looks like Eliza's crying, and I think I saw, like, Janelle wipe out or something, and it looks like we get some more black hat tussles going on, as it looks like, from what we saw, Eliza tries to take the Riley sisters' cab, and looks like there is a bit of war of words there, so... For those of you that are into drama, it's going to keep on a coming as this race keeps on a running. I love drama. <laughs> wow. <laughs> These people are all my friends, but I will take their cab. We must get to the next prawn location. <laughs> we, mu- we must make it to the school visit. We got to visit our schools. <laughs> that is school of God. fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this has legs it has sea legs yeah it has six Many, legs like yeah. a prawn and two of them are really really long <laughs> all right gentlemen turned into the uh, amazing race b&b <laughs> listen listen if you listen to the previous hour and a half this has sort of been we've been on this course uh that you're just you just now lit yourself up in the suit but we've been living in the darkness for the past like hour and a half here <laughs> It's very true. I'm wearing a Tron suit right now. You can't see me, but that's my life now. You're like the Night King. I I certainly am. And I think Arya Stark is coming up behind me. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so, Mike Bloom, tell us what you're up to out in the rest of the podcasting and or internet world. Uh, the aforementioned RHAP B&B is going strong. We are having Rob's podcasting partner from Robin Akiva Nita podcast. Akiva Winokur will be on to give his takes on uh, Survivor, as well as I'll see if I can pry him for some uh, amazing race takes as well, knowing that this is his first time watching the show. Drag yeah, race. This was contentious that uh, Akiva is on the, the B&B. I offered him a spot on This Week in survivor and he uh he hemmed and hawed i did not realize that we would be uh that we would actually get preferential treatment and the source of the hemming and the hawing but he we- said he's overexposed that's why he, uh, he couldn't he couldn't uh be on both shows overexposed i don't know the meaning of the word rob <laughs> yes it's unfamiliar <laughs> to my- <laughs> yeah like i've been on both shows in a season and i think i also did the feedback to boot yes a- and then you were also on uh robin and need a podcast that's true. I was. Uh, so I I don't think overexposed is a problem in our universe. So yes. perhaps our most controversial guest appearance yet. We'll see what Akiva has to say. Drag Race is also going strong. And we didn't have an exit interview this week, as is apparent by the end of this podcast. But next week, I'll be sure to keep doing that for Parade as teams keep on getting eliminating, uh, keep on getting eliminated, which I certainly... I, I hope nobody does. I, again, think this is a really fun cast, but I'm also super selfish and excited to talk to some of these people about what exactly they've been undergoing. Fabulous, Mike. Um, you're the second hardest working man in podcasting and or entertainment media. And <laughs> Rob Sestrinito. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll, yes. I will take that silver. <laughs> and um, so the bronze medalist, Rob Cisnito, yes. what are what's going on this week? Well, in I'm Rob has sure podcast if, if you, you guys uh, set up what I was up to uh, earlier tonight, but I was uh, I just, uh, got done podcasting with uh, Dominic Abate and Kellen Bechtold from Survivor Ghost Island for our joint uh, recap of this week's Survivor. So uh, that was very fun with uh, Dominic and Kellen. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And then I will be uh, speaking with our uh, great friend Bryce. 
Isaiah on Friday, and I'm uh, excited for his appearance here on the Feedback Show to talk about the family visit. And then uh, this weekend, I'm going to get into uh, This Week in Survivor as uh, Michael's co-host from the B&B, Liana Boris, is going to join us on uh, This Week in Survivor. So a lot of Survivor stuff coming up. So, Good can you convince Bryce that he needs to re-record Freak in Vietnamese for a new crowd? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that he should start with uh, what you're looking for. I feel like that that's uh, you're gonna start with the yeah, the, so the start with the newest and, and then go through the back catalog. I think that makes sense. Yes, I think so. Yes, yeah, the new hotness. Um, all right, gentlemen. So you're all very busy, and I'm considerably less busy. Uh, but I have some new articles coming out in the next coming weeks on a new website called primetimer.com. I'm pretty excited about that. I have something coming up very soon about the Friends finale, which uh, was 15 years ago this week, if you guys can believe Whoa. it. Jesse, are you a major uh, Friends fan? I mean, I was. I watched it because everybody watched it in the 90s. Like, that's what you watched. Um, but I and had you know not who actually. Was on Friends? The guy who played Prawn Clark in the movie. Yeah, that's Matthew true. Pirani. Just to tie it. <laughs> God. <laughs> you know, it's important the podcast where it just says, oh, God, in response to one of your puns. Yeah. You sound like Steven when I was uh, getting the, the ream puppets uh, ready last <laughs> night during the know-it-alls. Good Lord. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to read about it, Jess. It was, it's crazy to think that it was, it was 15 years ago, but it was like a, I remember it was like a monolithic event. And so I, it's interesting to sort of look back. I know there's also been a lot of think pieces in the time since the show has come to streaming as to like the impact of the show. So looking at it from that certain lens, I'm sure is super interesting. Yeah. And I ended up, I had thought I was going to kind of go into like what holds up and what doesn't, but I ended up taking more of a tack of, um, how does it wrap up the storylines and where does it go narratively and why don't we talk about it anymore the way we talk about other finales? I could and not tell you one thing that happened in the Friends finale. I remember they like I exactly. remember they left the keys on the, the the tabletop and that's the final image of the show, I believe. Yeah, well, it, they leave the keys on the tabletop and then it pans over to the peephole with the frame around it mm-hmm. and that's the last shot is that what the the piece is about why does nobody remember the friends finale or is it just it, why it, does rob sort of. not remember the friends finale well, i mean rob yeah. you don't even remember the she got on the plane that infamous line or she got off the plane uh, i, I do say. remember something about a plane i remember something about a plane yeah um there there's quite a lot of like why don't we remember all this stuff and part of it is because it wasn't well, you'll read the piece. Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. And Jess, I, I don't know if you explored this or not, but is, is it better to have a finale that there is nothing memorable or is it better to have a finale that is memorable for it being bad? Would you like a Friends finale or a Seinfeld finale? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, all that's happening over at primetimer.com. Um, and it may not be up for a couple of days, but I will tweet out that link when it does land. Mike, would you rather uh, have a finale that is uh, bad and not remembered or a finale that is bad and remembered for being bad? Well, I like my relationship with the finales right now, Rob. I think I'll just stick with that option. <laughs> that's former Amazing Racer Jeff <laughs> Thank you for, for for giving that. I also liked your drive by tying it all. I like your, your drive by Boston together. Rob that made a brief appearance. Just hey, hey. Rob contains multitudes. 
All right, everybody. So we'll be back here next week with an exit interview and all three of us here to break down everything. And probably Rob will keep us in line and let us not talk for two hours. But we love hearing your feedback. Please tweet at us, uh, comment on the page, rate, review us and all of that fun stuff. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to all the listeners. And we'll see you next week. 